0: Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. This is Julius coming at you. We've got Patrick here as well, as always. Plenty going on. It's October. It's that time of year. NFL obviously MLB playoffs college footballs rolling even NHL starting tonight so a whole lot to get into let's get to it first we had a Thursday night NFL game the Chicago Bears do what they don't do best win the Bears with a 40 to 20 win on the Washington commanders and this this was shocking to me. Shocking from basically the jump uh, with how this game went. Uh, Justin Fields missed a deep throw early, a, a play where Darnell Mooney made some weird attempt to face the ball and dive backwards. But after that, there was connections with D.J. Moore on long throws to the tune of four catches, 126 yards and a touchdown for D.J. Moore. That's a, that's a great game, right? He did that in the first quarter did that in the first quarter, and then, oh, by the way, had an 11-yard touchdown at the beginning of the second quarter. So two quarters in, you're talking 137 yards and two touchdowns. Had a bad night at the office, and he still wasn't even done yet. Uh, Justin Fields in the first half of this game, 12 for 20, 189 yards and three touchdowns. So his last two first halves going back to last week against Denver, Justin Fields in the first half of the last two games, 28 for 37. 420 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. So as long as it's the first or second quarter, apparently Justin Fields is Peyton Manning now. I I don't know where this is coming from, from an offense that was struggling to do anything right just a couple of weeks ago, but all of a sudden things are rolling in Chicago offensively. On top of that, it'd be one thing to have all that passing production and no run game. Khalil Herbert had 76 yards of rushing in the first half. The Washington Commanders, and I talked about this defense. I said, you know, this defense, they've got all the first-round picks on the defensive line. They had all these high expectations. They, you know, added a playmaker to their secondary with their first-round pick this year. You're waiting for this team to take that step forward defensively, and it just absolutely did not happen in this game. And I said, you know, The commanders, their schedule, they were facing struggling teams, offenses that have been inconsistent. I want to see them step up in this part of the schedule. It just didn't happen. So it's one thing for your defense not to step up, but Chicago, one of the worst defenses around, uh, your offense should be able to, to get some of it back. And yet, if you don't count a meaningless pass to Logan Thomas at the end of the first half, the commanders had 60 yards of offense in the first half. So just a complete... Train wreck on both sides of the ball for the Commanders in the first half of this game. The commanders started getting it going some in the second half. A lot of Logan Thomas for some reason. Um, it was, I guess, working. I guess that last play of the first half kind of gave him a little momentum. Uh, Washington got back in the game. Tyreek Stevenson had his weekly pass interference costly penalty to to help the other team score. So his struggles continue. But I mean, the Commanders just could never get back in there. Even when the Bears lost all their running backs, Roshan Johnson left with a concussion. Khalil Herbert left after basically sprained his ankle trying to reach back or bend back to catch a pass. It was an awkward play. Even without running backs, <laughs> the Bears had to resort to a fullback handling the carries, and it still wasn't enough to help the commanders get back in the game. Uh, so this was ugly. And late in the game, you know, the commanders in desperation mode. You got Kendall Fuller trying to go for a desperation, I guess, pick six, but made a terrible attempt at it, terrible gamble. And, of course, that led to yet another long D.J. Moore touchdown. So Moore ends the day with or the night with 230 yards and three touchdowns. Again, we saw corners all over the place led by Kendall Fuller just making terrible gambles, a lot of undisciplined football from the secondary. And, you know, Chase Young flashed in this game at times, but overall, This Washington Commanders front got beat by a weak Chicago offensive line, and that was the biggest shock to me. The other shocking part of this game was the Chicago defense came away with five sacks and two takeaways. Coming into the game, they had two sacks and two takeaways in four games. So that's a major concern for the Commanders. And, of course, the big concern for the Commanders on top of that, Sam Howell has now been sacked at least four times in every game. No quarterback in the league has been sacked more than how the commanders have a lot to fix as they head into Atlanta. And this was just as rough as it gets as for the bears. Congratulations. You got a win. You didn't go a full calendar year without getting a win. Good on you. But this was ugly, ugly for the Washington commanders.
1: All I need to say about this game is I called it on last week's podcast. I said I had a feeling Chicago was going to win this game uh dj moore he a turp uh eight receptions 230 three touchdowns but i want to remind everybody he did not step out of bounds so he should have had more there should have been another touchdown <laughs> so um, is
0: dead.
1: that camera angle was terrible too they didn't even, not even a chance to to challenge it because the camera angle was so bad but i i don't even think he was close to stepping out of bounds but Ref whistled him down, trying to you know help the commanders at least out a little bit um <laughs> I know everyone's blaming blaming Emmanuel Forbes Julius on this defense um and I'm not sitting here saying he's playing well i don't want I don't want that to be a misconception. he's not playing well um I think a lot of it has to do with the scheme I think a lot of it has to do with whatever Jack del Rio is telling the corners to do because um. Emmanuel Forbes didn't give up a touchdown to DJ Moore. He didn't give a touchdown in this game. Uh, If anyone wants to guess who that was, um, well, let's go through it. On the first touchdown, it looked like it was his own coverage. Uh, St. Juice uh, was kind of, looked like he was supposed to be the deep man, and Kendall Fuller was supposed to be the up man. DJ Moore got behind it and scored a touchdown. Uh, The second touchdown was, on you guessed it, Kendall Fuller again. Uh, And the third touchdown, Julius already talked about, Fuller tried to hop it, didn't miss it. So, if you're counting, that's three touchdowns on Fuller, which is all DJ Moore scored. Um, so, again, I don't... I'm not sitting here saying Forbes is not is playing well, because he's not. But nobody in that secondary is playing well. And I think that has to be attributed when you see all of your corners not either in the right position, not being able to make plays, um, just not in good zone coverages. Um... Same with the safeties. I feel like that's more on the coaching than the players. Um, so hopefully he's not too hard on himself. I know they, everyone's talking about him deleting a social media, this and that. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's all his fault. I mean, again, he's not playing well either, but on top of that, he didn't give up the three touchdowns. Kendall Fuller gave up all three. So, um, let's not act like the rest of the corners are out here being prime Deion Sanders. um, Julius talked about the Bears' uh, first half offense. Um, they slowed up the second half, and I attribute that to—I don't know if you guys are watching the game—but Herbert um, got hurt on a pass that was thrown short, and when he tried to catch it, he kind of bent himself backwards uh, on his leg. And I, th- Julius, this is a great thing that no one hit him that way and no one landed on him because he probably would be out for the season. He probably would have a torn ACL or. MCL or PCL, something wrong with his knee. Um, the way he was bent back, if there was any extra body weight put on top of that, um, that could have been a really disgusting injury. Um, yeah, it was just, it was. he tried to come back for the catch and just looked nasty, just the way he bent over himself. Um, I didn't think there could be a worse looking offensive line than the New York Giants, but Washington is definitely challenging them for that um they're definitely in the top 3 for worst offensive lines um as you talked about hows on pace to get sacked 97 times this season um and daniel jones is on pace to be sacked 94 times uh the thing about how though is yes the, the offensive line is not very good for the commanders but he also tries to make something out of nothing so he'll run around he'll hold on to the ball for too long and that's being a young quarterback and just try to make more plays. and Some of the sacks come from that. They're not all in-the-pocket sacks, in my opinion. Um, So that's the only reason I said, I don't know if Washington's O-line is the worst in the NFL, but it's definitely top three, top five, because um, they do put him in situations where he has to scramble quickly, and that's obviously not going to help your offense. The other thing about the commander's offense, which is concerning to me, is two of your best playmakers don't ever seem involved in the game plan. And I'm talking about Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. Um, there were times watching this game, I didn't see either of them on the field. Uh, you know, and I'm not talking about when they were being blown out and, and the game was essentially over. This was while the game was still competitive. It was before Sly missed that field goal that would have made it a seven-point game. Um, so I just... Very confusing. I don't understand it. Um, I don't know if enemy just doesn't like whatever packages they have rolling out. I don't know if Hal just doesn't have the chemistry with those guys, but you would think that um, you would want both of those guys on the field, if not at least one of them, at all times, no matter what package you were running. Um, and Dotson made a hell of a one-handed grab. It was out of bounds. But if you guys saw the play, you would not be like, this guy can catch the football. Um, so I just don't, I just don't understand what, what's happening with the Commanders and the offense. Um, but, yeah, that, that sly missed field goal um, really sucked because it ended up being a 10-point swing because the Bears got the ball back and got a touchdown. So And that pretty much essentially closed the game out, in my opinion, Julius. But just a rough night for Commanders fans, great night for Bears fans, besides Kiss passing, passing away. So um, the Bears get the Vikings at home next week, and that'll be interesting without Justin Jefferson there and um you talked about the commanders go to Atlanta and with that defense uh the commanders need to figure something out quickly moving on to another London game and uh this is Jacksonville's second home so uh, of course they get another London game they stayed there all week uh, i don't know if that's what made them beat the buffalo bills but um Jacksonville wins 25 to 20 um if you're just looking at the box scores, Julius, you see Josh Allen had 359 yards and two touchdowns, and you would think that, oh, that <clears throat> that did enough to win the game, but a lot of those yards were kind of just, in my opinion, just kind of worthless stats because they didn't amount to everything. Um, he threw a pretty bad interception in this one. It got ripped out of Stefan Diggs' hand, so I don't know if you can blame Josh Allen on that one. Um, but to me, it felt kind of like a force, um, throw, just trying to get it all back in one, in one throw. Um, but again, it was in Diggs' hands. It got ripped out of his hands. So don't know if you can be too mad at the quarterback on that one. Um, they didn't run the ball much in this game. Uh, which doesn't make sense. Cause yes, they were down 11, nothing, but going into halftime, they got a score right before half. It was 11 to seven. So just a very confusing game. Um, Jacksonville scored 11 points in the first quarter and then didn't score again until the fourth quarter uh, when the Bills were trying to make their comeback push. Um, So just, again, Buffalo only ran it 14 times for 29 yards. It was a terrible running game. James Cook had negative four yards rushing and he had five carries. So that just goes to tell you how bad um, the rushing game was for Buffalo. On the other hand, Travis Etienne ran it 26 times for 136 yards, and he had two touchdowns, and he really helped uh, control the clock and kind of seal this game for Jacksonville. Um, Calvin Ridley finally had another good game since game one, Julius. He had seven catches for 122 yards. So that's good for him to be getting the targets and not only getting the targets but getting the receptions and getting the yardage. Um, Christian Kirk, ever since that bad game one, he's just been doing what he did last year, just being a solid you know, possession receiver for this team. Um, and even though Diggs had that ball ripped out of his hands, man, he still had eight catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. Um, Gabe Davis showed up in this game. He had six catches for hundred yards and a touchdown, but not only did Diggs have that ball ripped out of his hands, but he also have lost a fumble in this, on this game. So, um, lots of turnovers, um, for the bills. And normally when you turn the ball over, you're going to lose the game, but, Trevor Lawrence tried to give it back. He had three fumbles and lost two of them, Julius. So there was just a lot of sloppy football in England again, like there always is. Um, for Buffalo, I think not having Tredavious White really hurt this team because um, even though I liked Kyrie Elam with their pick last year uh, because they needed cornerback help for this exact issue whenever White gets hurt, um, Calvin Ridley was just picking up first down after first down after first down on them. And uh, whenever Jacksonville needed a big play, it was 3rd and 15. Who did they go to? Calvin Ridley on Kyrie Elam. So, um, you know, just a really bad injury for, for Buffalo and just really bad timing. And, and then it just was a bad look for Kyrie. Uh, I know if people, again, just looking at the box scores, like, oh, we had 11 tackles. Uh, that's not good as a cornerback. That means you're getting picked on and the guys are catching it on you. So you don't want to have a high... Tackle total people if you're if you're a cornerback safety sure maybe because you can come down to the box do a couple things but as a corner not good if you have 11 tackles. Um, but this was a really big win for Jacksonville. Uh, they needed this after after struggling the last few weeks and also losing to Houston at home. Uh, they needed a win like this Julius over a team that a lot of people after they beat Miami were calling them one of the best teams in the AFC. So. Uh, this was a huge win for Jacksonville, huge momentum boost for them. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it rolling or if they kind of falter again. They get the Colts at home. Uh, we we saw how they already were against Houston at home within the division, so uh, we'll just see what Jacksonville team shows up. Um, but, again, for Buffalo, it was kind of like a back-down-to-earth type game. You just beat Miami, who everyone was lauding over, and, and just so many injuries on the defensive end for Buffalo that it's going to be really tough uh, for them to keep winning games if if they have no starters that can, that can play and finish the game. So um, the offense put up yards, uh, but the offense didn't look that impressive, Julius. it just kind of they stalled out when they didn't need to stall out, and, and they didn't really score when they needed to. So... Again, 20 points with 359 yards passing. But like I said, if you only have 29 yards rushing, it's going to be hard to win games in the NFL. Um, and, again, when they had chances to score, uh, they did sometimes, but not as much as they needed to. And, and Jacksonville came away with a win. But, again, huge win for Jacksonville over a team that a lot of people were applauding. Now they're both 3-2. and two. Um, And, like I said, Jacksonville gets Indianapolis at home. Oh, next week, which, again, in the division, that's a huge, huge game and Buffalo gets a bye week, so Buffalo will get to fly back and kind of figure things out, and then, oh no, Buffalo gets, yeah, they do get a bye week, they're playing the Giants, I'm sorry, I forgot, we're back on (laughs) primetime, woohoo. So they do get a bye week, easy win, they get the New York Giants on primetime, I don't know why we're still on primetime, but we are.
0: You nailed all of the main things uh, for this game. Uh, as you alluded to, the big difference in this game was Jacksonville's ability to run the ball and Buffalo's inability to inability to run the ball. And specifically in the second half of this game, in the second half alone, Travis Etienne Jr. had 111 rushing yards in the second half alone. So... The Bills were able to slow him down for a half, and for the first half, neither team really ran the ball all that well. But in the second half, the separator, keep in mind this was an 11-7 game at halftime, so neither offense was really getting going. The separator was Jacksonville's ability to find a running game. Meanwhile, for the Bills, Josh Allen (laughs) led the team with 14 rushing yards. We don't want Josh Allen being the leading rusher on this team. But if 14 yards is going to lead the team in rushing, (laughs) then Josh Allen is going to lead the team. Uh, you got to get some production from this backfield. That's not happening for the Bills lately, and that's a big deal. You mentioned James Cook and his struggles in this game. Going back to last game, for the last two games now, James Cook has 17 carries for 25 yards. That's over the last two games. So this is back-to-back no-shows for James Cook in the run game. He's been okay as a pass receiver, but again, you need somebody other than Josh Allen to be a threat running the football. It's something we've talked about since we started this podcast. So a bit concerning to see that problem start to reemerge for the Bills. Another problem for the Bills, of course, <clears throat> Matt Milano uh, goes down in the first quarter of this game. He got bowled up on a uh, bad leg injury. Sounds like it's a season-ending injury. Matt Milano is one of the best off-ball linebackers in football. It's not a name that we discuss a whole lot, but he's one of the absolute best. And when you talk about Jacksonville's ability to run the ball in this game, a lot of it had to do with the absence of Matt Milano. Keep in mind, this is a Bills defense that did lose Tremaine Edmonds in free agency last year. So you're counting on that much more out of Milano after he just had an all-pro season. And now you lose him, so the Bills are in trouble at the linebacker spot and it's, it's a concern. It's a concern for this defense moving forward, just like it was a concern last year when the Bills kept losing uh, players on the back end of their defense. So uh, once again, injury's an issue. Uh, Milano, unfortunately, not the only Bills defender to deal with an injury in this game. Uh, Taron Johnson, who was among the injured Bills defenders, uh, talked about how much he didn't like the turf. He said he got his foot caught uh, to cause him to have a bit of a knee injury. He sounds like he'll be okay, but... Once again, that turf uh, becomes a topic of concern for players, whether it's stateside or whether it's overseas. That turf continues to be an issue. Getting back to this game, uh, Zay Jones had a tremendous touchdown catch in this game, and he—he just—it seems like every time he catches a touchdown, it's a tremendous play. It's either catching the ball, low pointing it right as it's about to hit the ground, or all hands catch. We saw him do that early in the season. Uh, This game, you saw him in the back of the end zone, high-pointing a football, finding a way to get both feet down inbounds in the back of the end zone. Uh, Zay Jones is just one of those guys that keeps getting forgotten. You talk about Calvin Ridley, and like Patrick said, Christian Kirk has been productive over the last few weeks. And Zay Jones, just like he was with the Raiders, he just keeps making plays. And, you know, again, it's a forgotten guy because he's not always going to be a featured player, but he is getting the job done. And every time you need to make a tough catch, he's there to do it. Uh, when you look at that possession, it looked like the Bills had a stop. They forced Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball away on third down inside the 10. But unfortunately, they had a penalty called against Ed Oliver. And that was a theme for Buffalo. They had 11 penalties in this game. That penalty kept the drive alive. So, whereas you would have only surrendered a field goal there, you give up a touchdown in that situation. And when you look at the score, Jacksonville wins by three. That's a situation that was a four-point swing on that Ed Oliver penalty. So, you look at things like that, they get kind of lost in the box score, but those penalties can be a major factor, especially depending on when you get them. So Buffalo uh an issue throughout this game, along with a lack of running game. When you have those two problems in the same game and you combine that with a bunch of injuries, it's tough uh, to win games. Speaking of injuries, unfortunately, Walker Little got hurt during that series. Uh, Little had been a start left tackle for Jacksonville. This year, uh, while Cam Robinson was serving his suspension, this was Robinson's first game back, so Little slid over to left guard. That's a big loss. One, because Cam Robinson wasn't all that great in this game, and two, you know, Walker Little not only has been playing well, but he's showing some positional versatility among that offensive line. So losing Little, and it sounds like he's going to miss games. I'm not sure how many, but it sounds like he's going to miss some. That's a big deal. We talk about the Bills offense, again, a slow start to this game. Sam Martin, the Bills punter, we won't talk about him much. Reason being, he only had four total punts in the first three games this year. But Martin had four punts in the first half of this game. So you saw the Bills offense get to a much slower start than we're used to seeing. The Bills finally did uh, find some rhythm late in the first half. But uh, for most of the first half, it was an issue. Uh, Jacksonville did have a chance to put points on the board right before halftime, but A.J. Epinesa, he was making plays. Again, the, the Bills also shorthanded on their defensive line and specifically on the edge. And A.J. Epinesa stepped up in this game. He had a strip sack and a fumble, which cost Jacksonville points at the end of the first half. Uh, he also made plays later in this game. Uh, again, again, Epinesa was able to beat Cam Robinson, so Robinson, not a great season debut for him. Uh, Getting into the second half of this game, Darius Williams, you talked about the interception he had. He was able to jump up with Stephon Diggs and wrestle the ball away. And that was in response to one of those Trevor Lawrence fumbles you talked about, Patrick. So it seemed like every time the Jaguars needed to respond, the defense responded when the when the Bills defense made a play. The offense responded for Jacksonville when Buffalo's offense made a play. So, despite a big game from Stephon Diggs, despite a big game from Gabe Davis who made a couple of highlight catches in this game. Jacksonville still able to pull out the win this looked a little more like the Jaguars team we were expecting coming into the season as opposed to what we saw the Jaguars do to through the first few weeks of the season we've got an interesting game coming up next week between Jacksonville and Indianapolis uh, all of a sudden that's a, a game that looms large in the division standings a game that we didn't necessarily think would uh, when the season started so uh, that's something to keep an eye on but uh, Buffalo Listen, even if you are playing the Giants, you got to figure out some things. You got to establish, reestablish a run game and figure out how to get off to those faster starts like you did against Miami offensively. So, Buffalo has a bounce back opportunity, but things to work on. Last thing for Buffalo, Von Miller did make it back uh, for his debut in this game, but was very limited, didn't play much, very quiet in this game. So, we'll see uh, if Von Miller can be that impact player we're used to seeing because the Bills, with all these injuries, certainly need another impact player on that defense moving on to the Atlanta Falcons who were able to squeak by the Houston Texans and win a game 21 to 19. we talked about the concerns we had with this Falcons pass game early in the game. We saw Drake London, not catch a pass complete a pass 22 yards down the field. And it seemed like that as weird as it sounds, it seemed like that sparked the offense. That seemed to spark Desmond Ritter. It's like Ritter saw that play and was thinking, you know, if a wide receiver can complete a pass in this offense, maybe I should be able to complete a pass. And I'm not talking about a pass sideways. So all of a sudden you see Desmond Ritter looking better, throwing the ball down the field than we have all year. He had a perfect throw to Keith Smith. Now it's just Keith Smith of all people, but Keith Smith, he hit him, Desmond Ritter hit him in stride on the seam route, and, and that was one of the best throws I've seen Ritter make as a pro. And then from there, it just seemed like Ritter had more confidence and the coaches had more confidence in calling plays for Ritter. Now, all of a sudden, because we've complained time and time again about how uninvolved Drake London and Kyle Pitts are in this offense for guys who you spent top 10 picks on, both of those guys combined for 20 targets in this game. And a lot of those targets were down the field. Some of those targets were plays where London and Pitts weren't open, but you drafted these guys because they're big-bodied guys that can go up and get the football. So they don't have to be open for you to give them a chance. Desmond Ritter finally realized that in this game, so that was good to see. So that unlocks a different element for the Falcons' offense. Uh, getting to Nathaniel Dell for the Texans, he... Uh, Dole for a pass in the first half of this game and, and concussed himself. So that was disappointing to see. Again, Dell's been somebody who has been on my watch list this year, so I had didn't like to see that at all. He still caught the pass. So that, that's amazing. Concussion and all, still caught the ball. Uh getting to the second half of this game, a bit of a weird start for the Falcons. They fumbled on each of their first two possessions. Uh Bijan Robinson, who again is a highlight machine, but he he fumbled uh to give Houston a short field. And then John uh, Johnny Smith uh, had a fumble in the red zone, so that cost the Falcons points. It was a nice play by Grayland Arnold. He, he worked hard to get that ball out of there. But uh, back-to-back fumbles to start the second half seemed ominous uh, for the Falcons. But off of those two turnovers, the Falcons' defense only gave up three points. And to me, that was the pivotal part of the game there. The Falcons' defense, when the offense slipped, the defense stepped up for the Falcons, and to me, that made the difference. So now you give the offense a chance to recover, B. John Robinson does what he does. Another ridiculous highlight. This time a left-handed behind the back one-handed catch in the middle of the field for a touchdown. Just because he's B. John Robinson and that's what he does. That's, that's the only explanation for that. And now, and you know, Atlanta starts to re-seize the momentum. Uh, CJ Stroud, you saw him start to have some rookie struggles in this game. He threw a couple of passes that could have been intercepted, but they weren't. So Stroud still has his interception free streak going. But there were three straight possessions in the second half where the Texans had three and outs and Stroud didn't complete a single pass. So, again, that's just a reminder that he is a rookie and there's going to be times where the play is going to be uneven. That said, what I like about Stroud is as a rookie, he went through that struggle in this game in the second half. But on the final possession, he still delivered. He engineered a great go ahead drive for a touchdown, including a very nice pass to Dalton Schultz with under two minutes left. Beautiful seam throw. To give the Texans the lead, you just like the makeup of C.J. Stroud showing you what he can do in the face of a little bit of adversity. And again, Ritter comes back and engineers a drive that's good enough to get in the field goal range and win the game. So I'm just proud of what we saw to Ritter in this game. And we talked about how much we don't want to see him throwing the ball necessarily. In this game, Ritter had 329 passing yards. Again, passing yards is an overrated stat, but It's notable here because this is the first time that Ritter has ever even thrown for over 250 yards. So he crushed this previous career high. And it's not just about the passing yards. He averaged 8.9 yards per pass in this game. He came into the game averaging 6.3. So that is a major jump over what we've normally seen from him. So it's the efficiency and the aggression that we have not seen all year out of Ritter that finally showed up in this game against a rising Texans defense. So that's a very encouraging sign if you're the Falcons. So if you're Atlanta, a lot of encouraging signs. Again, going into a game against Washington where they had a lot of discouraging signs this week, but you got to keep it up if you're Atlanta. A, again, you only won this game by two. So uh, you can't rest on your laurels yet, but you're stepping in the right direction. Houston, another feisty performance. They're going to give New Orleans a game as well just because this is a feisty team that's playing beyond their year so far like what I'm seeing from both of these teams, even though these are two teams that didn't necessarily have the highest expectations coming into the season.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Julius, about Desmond Ritter. Uh, We have been bashing him on this podcast for four straight weeks. Um, Not necessarily to his own fault. Maybe it's a lot of the play calling, but whatever they saw or whatever, maybe they heard us. Maybe they heard us talking about it and they were like, let's open this playbook up. But um, he gets another rushing touchdown because when you have Tyler Algier and Bijan John Robbins in the backfield, that's where all the attention's going. Um, but uh, Ritter definitely showed he can throw the ball down the field, and, and I didn't know if that was something he could do. Obviously, he's in the NFL, so he can do it. But you know what I mean. We didn't know if that was something that he could do consistently well, and as you talked about in this game, he did. Um, and even with Kyle Pitts and Drake London getting 20 targets, Johnnie Smith got seven more targets as well, so... Um utilizing those tight ends and then obviously the top receiver pick whenever they took London uh, is a good thing to finally see this offense doing, especially when in a day where your running game wasn't really doing much. Um, 36 attempts for 96 yards uh, is a 2.7 average. So, you know, that's just not typical Atlanta Falcons football. So um, talking about the Bijan catch, Just insane. That probably should have been an incomplete pass and it ended up being a touchdown. So, (coughs) Just insane what that guy can do if you put the football near him. Um, I mean, Atlanta's 3-0 at home, and I don't know what this home cooking is doing for him, Julius, but in a game where I know Houston's going to be upset that they had to kick four field goals in this game, uh, they probably could have at least gotten one or two more touchdowns. Uh, they were in the red zone a bunch. Uh, uh, Kyer Fairbairn's longest field goal is only 43 yards. So, again, f- those field goals were you're kind of in the, the range where you want to finish these drives with touchdowns. And if they do that, this game's a blowout. But Falcons defense, which you've been high on all year, stepped up. And, and, and as they say, they they were bending, but they didn't break. Um and kept him out of the end zone, and that was the difference in the game. Because even, like you said, even though C.J. Stroud uh, made a great drive and to get the go-ahead score, you know Atlanta came right back down and were able just to kick a field goal to win the game, um, and and that's what their guy did. Young Hoku kicked kicked the 37-yarder uh, to to win the game. So, um, Houston's defense, which you 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 know is young and is, is on the come up, you you would if you're. You know, D'Amico Ryans, you want to see them close that game out. You want to put the trust into your defense that, hey, the offense just scored. We need to get a stop. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to do it in this game. But, um, as you said with Stroud, just being able to have be having a really kind of rough game where, you know, your receivers didn't catch that many passes. Uh, you went 20 for 35. Dalton Schultz had his best game as a Texan in this game. But, yeah. Um, to be able to make that drive at the end of the game after having, you know, a rough game, uh, that I think that shows a lot for Houston. They finally have something to be excited about um, since Deshaun Watson and, and DeAndre Hopkins. So I th- I think, you know, you got to be excited if you're a Texans fan, even if you only win four or five games this year, which I think they'll win more than that. But, you know, if, if that's what happens, you got to be excited with what the future looks like for this team because it looks like they're, being built the correct way, and they have a good coach behind them as well. Um, Moving on to the game of the week that everyone wanted to see. The New York Giants versus the Miami Dolphins. Yes. Our offense didn't score a touchdown. Again, we had to... Our only points were on a 102-yard pick six, so... Good job, Giants. Um, <laughs> this game went exactly how I thought it would go. Uh, Daniel jo- the only no notable thing that happened in this game is Daniel Jones got hurt. Uh, he was sacked six more times in this game, um, and he hurt his neck. So I don't know if he's going to play next week or not against the Bills. It doesn't matter if he does or not. Um but, yeah, that's the most notable thing for the Giants anyway that happened on this game. Uh, in a day where no one really caught the ball, Darren Waller had eight catches. I know people have been complaining that he hasn't been getting the ball enough. He got 11 targets. He had eight catches for 86 yards. Uh, we have no running game without without uh, Saquon Barkley. Um, Eric Gray had 12 carries for 25 yards. Daniel Jones had four for 24. And then Matt Breida had nine for 21. Um, Tyra Taylor had three for 14. But, again, just no, no run game for the New York Giants. Um... Defense isn't much better. I, I expect some moves to be made here soon, uh, especially with the GM having ties to Buffalo. I would be on the lookout for a Dory Jackson to be traded to Buffalo. That's not insider news. That's just me putting the pieces together as best I can. Um, I could see Xavier McKinney possibly being moved as well. I don't want that to happen as a Giants fan. He's one of my favorite defenders on the team. Uh, but if this dumpster fire continues, uh, expect a going out of business sale for the Giants to try to get guys that are coming up on contract years, um, you know, that need to be paid. Uh, they're gonna be trying to get some value back for guys that are playing well too. So, um, just be on the lookout for that. Again, I think Adore Jackson is definitely one of the. People to look at that the Bills might try and trade for, uh, especially with White going down. Um, <coughs> yeah, we kicked four field goals, only made three. We put 16 points up, but again, our defense has to score the touchdown. So, <coughs> <coughs> Giants just are not a good team. Yeah, our offensive line still hurt and still crappy. Uh, we need Saquon back. That's not going to help with a crappy offensive line still. And so most games are going to look like this for the Giants, where they're struggling to score, struggling to move the ball, and um, our defense has to play perfect, which it's not going to, not especially not against the Dolphins, um, to win a game. Moving over to the Dolphins, uh, I told you all that last week this was going to be a get-right game for them, even though Tua threw two picks, uh, which were very uncharacteristic of Tua to throw. Um... He still went 22 for 30, 308 yards, and just threw two touchdowns. Um, Tyreek Hill had eight catches for 181 yards and a touchdown. Waddle got another touchdown. Um, he had 10 targets, though. The thing that concerns me about that, he had 10 targets and only five catches for 35 yards. And that's a little concerning for me. Um, <clears throat> I'll let Julius talk about the running backs for the Dolphins. Um, this was a revenge game, quote-unquote, for Eli Apple. That guy sucks. Uh, he had nine tackles. Again, you don't want to have a bunch of tackles when you're a cornerback. That means people are catching the ball on you. Um, but what's also concerning, in a game where there were six sacks, um, you know, seven, technically, because Tyrod Taylor also got sacked, uh, Bra- Bradley Chubb had zero, and that's just, um, you know, with the Denver, he really never showed up for his full potential, and then he got traded to the Dolphins, and we thought maybe he would kind of break out of his shell and, and have more more numbers and, and more stats, and you, you just feel like he' not going to ever achieve his full potential like he, you felt like he had coming out of NC State um, when he was drafted. You just felt like, I, at least I did, I just felt like he would be doing more uh, in the last few years. Um, you know, he just, after his rookie season, when he had 12 sacks, and you're like, yeah, this this guy's legit. Um just hasn't really had another season like that. Uh, and I do understand that obviously he was injured some of those years. Um but you just haven't seen the same output since his rookie season. So you're hoping he would get it back. Um and for him not to get a sack I don't think he has a sack this entire year actually, but for him not to get a sack um in this game where everyone was getting sacks is just a little concerning uh for me, Julius. But Again, not much to talk about. This game went exactly how everyone thought it was going to go. Dolphins get an easy win. And again, Giants, I made a joke that uh, Bills were on a bye week, but they played the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday night, so we get to watch another blowout in primetime for some reason. And the Dolphins get another easy game uh, against the Panthers uh, because it's at home, and the Dolphins are really, really good at home. So I expect another Dolphins win next week uh, when when they have Carolina come visit them, Julius.
0: Yes, sir. So you left the Dolphins running backs for me. So that's where I'll start. Um, You know, last week I said that Devon Achan had a yards per carry average, you know, in the double digits. That wasn't sustainable. Uh, Apparently he took that personally uh, because his yards per carry actually went up in this game. That's how explosive he's been um, on top of the yards per carry going up again on somewhat limited carries, but still impressive for the sample size. H. N. is also the first player in the Super Bowl era to have seven rushing touchdowns in his or seven touchdowns in his first four games. So then that's despite touching the ball once in his first game. So basically, in three games, he's had a historic run uh, like we've never seen before. H. Uh, N. at this point is second in the NFL in rushing yards. Every other player in the top five has at least twice as many carries. As a and he's right up with them in yardage. So that just lets you know just the ridiculous rate of efficiency he's on. Uh, in addition to that, Raheem Mostert actually fumbled on the game's opening drive. Right, fumbled on the sidelines, ball went out of bounds, but let's not forget he fumbled twice last week, and one of them was a costly fumble. So you're thinking at this point with how well a is playing and Mostert all of a sudden having these ball security issues that maybe we start to see that expanded role for a-chan and unfortunately a-chan gets hurt in this game not sure exactly when but uh looks like he's going to miss time so now it's going to be mostert's backfield and you know for the dolphins their hope is going to be that mostert who uh doesn't typically have major ball security issues is hope that he tightens it up and that this is just a two-game blip on the radar because he's going to have to carry more of a load and you know there's There's bitter irony in that part of the reason HM was drafted is because the Dolphins had injury prone backs on their roster. When you talk about Raheem Mostert, when you talk about Jeff Wilson Jr. Who's already currently on injured reserve, uh, even Salvon Ahmed. I mean, you you have guys who have injury history in the backfield for Miami. So HM was brought on to be kind of the insurance guy. And yet here we are uh, in a position where he's the guy hurt now and Mostert's the guy you have to count on. So, uh, tough break for the Dolphins. They're built to get around it, but you're going to miss a guy that's giving you 11 and 12 yards per carry every week. Uh, as for the Giants, uh, you talked about Eric Gray's total. Eric Gray did have a 21-yard run in this game, but it was negated by a holding penalty on Ben and Bredesen, who did not have a good game at all in this game. Uh, you get to the second drive of the game. It looked promising for the Giants. They were moving the ball down the field. They get a third-down situation. Daniel Jones, shockingly, shockingly gets sacked. This is how bad it's gotten for Daniel Jones in the pass protection. Emmanuel Ogba on this play was totally unblocked. No one touched him. No one looked at him. And yet, Christian Wilkins still beat him to Daniel Jones. An unblocked player couldn't get to the quarterback fast enough to get the sack because somebody else is getting there faster. Christian Wilkins, again, beating Ben Bredesen, again, he had a pretty bad game. Uh, so what should have been a 49-yard kick for Graham Gano turns into a 55-yard attempt, and a kick that looks like it might have been good from 49 yards goes left and misses from 55. So, again, these are the kind of things that don't necessarily show up in a box score. When you watch the game, you just start putting things together. That sack essentially cost the Giants three points. Again, you lost by 15, so it probably doesn't matter, but it, it still hurts you when you lose points especially when you're playing an offense like Miami that you're trying to keep up with. Now, the Giants defense did step up where they could. Uh, Xavier McKinney, who Patrick talked about is a guy he likes. uh, He forces an A-chan fumble. Again, Xavier McKinney, most important position in football, playmaking safety, making a play to keep his team in the game. Kayvon Thibodeau um, hustled down the field to recover it. And I mention that because Thibodeau's effort still sometimes comes into question. So I like to acknowledge when he's making the extra effort, and he did to get that fumble recovery. And that was the first Giants takeaway of the season. So somebody's finally making a play there for, the, for New York. Uh, but, of course, New York responded uh, with their first takeaway of the season by going three and out. And on uh, the next offense possession, Devon, Devon A. Chan ran for 76 yards and a touchdown. So all of that was for not. Again, the Giants defense kept trying to bring them back in this game. Uh, Jason Pinnock, again, playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety, comes away with the 102-yard interception return touchdown. Give Bobby Okereke his credit because he initially got the deflection on that pass, a pass that he probably should have intercepted himself, but he did make a play on it to allow Pinnock to come in and clean up the mess. Um, you know, the, the defense did what they could. They they, they really did. Um Pinnock also forced the Mostert fumble that I referenced earlier in the game. So, again, your safeties are making plays, and that's the main thing you need. That kept the game competitive. A game that could have easily been 21-3 ends up being a 14-10 game because your safeties are out here making plays. Uh, Pinnock did get beat uh, by Jalen Waddle for a short touchdown, but it was a well-executed play. Uh, Not much you're going to be able to do about a speed in-and-out route (laughs) involving Jalen Waddle. So, overall, just a really good game for Pinnock. And, again, the defense did their part. Um, Miami, they just they just continue to make plays. They found a way to even after the turnover late in the first half, they still got the ball back and got back in scoring range in a hurry. Kicked a field goal at the end of the first half. Uh, then in the second half, Tyreek Hill goes over the top, sixty nine yard touchdown, and basically that seals the game. Um, Okereke did end up getting a pick of his own in you know in the uh, Dolphins' territory. They kind of keep this. Giants team in the game as much as he could but there's just the defense can only do so much and the offense just could not capitalize they went three and out on that possession as well and had to settle for a field goal uh, you mentioned Daniel Jones he got injured on an Andrew Van Ginkle sack eventually you take all those sacks and take 17 in the last two weeks you're not going to make it so the, the Giants have to find something they have to figure something out but I don't, I don't know where the answer is because it's not like you can just find offensive linemen. So, I don't know. You get you can hope from Saquon Barkley gets back, but he's not going to clean up every issue that this team has. If there's a sliver for, of good news for the Giants, I'll try, try to give you a little something positive, Patrick. Darren Waller did have his best game as a Giant. Had a giant career highs in receptions and receiving yards. So, you know, there's a little something maybe to hang on to. Waller almost caught a 26 yard touchdown. I uh, just couldn't maintain possession as he hit the ground, but overall you at least know that there are signs of life now from Darren Waller. We'll see if that continues, but I'm, I'm trying to come up with something nice to say about the giants here. Uh, as for Miami, again, they're continuing to take advantage of the soft spot in their schedule. They had a soft spot this week. They got another soft spot coming up with Carolina. So and I expect the good times to continue to roll down around South Beach. Getting into my Detroit Lions. Pulling off a 42-24 win over the aforementioned Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Lions came into this game with no Amara St. Brown. And they came into the game with no Jameer Gibbs. So you're missing your top draft pick. You're missing your top wide receiver but you are playing Carolina. So that kind of makes up for you missing a couple of your key weapons. Uh, Of course, especially in a game where Jameer Gibbs doesn't play, of course, David Montgomery scores a touchdown, but we're used to David Montgomery scoring two yard touchdowns, three yard touchdowns, a 42 yard touchdown, the rare breakaway touchdown for David Montgomery. That's a bad sign again for our Panthers defense with a bunch of guys. I like, they just, aren't showing up the way you'd like to see them show up. Uh, For Montgomery, he's played in four games. Keep in mind he did miss a game early in the season with a thigh issue. But in the four games he's played, he's scored at least one touchdown in all of them. So he's got a a nice, uh, we'll call it a McCaffrey Jr. streak going, running the ball into the end zone. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, I I talked about B. John Robinson and and his ridiculous one-handed catch. Aiden Hutchinson just about matched B. John Robinson with his ridiculous one-handed interception on a tight end screen. And to make it even crazier, Aiden Hutchinson, we're talking about a a defensive end who's early in his second year, already has four career interceptions. And it's, it's just wild to see how good Hutchinson's hands are. He has good hands for an offensive player. The Ravens could use his hands on offense, and he's a defensive end. So it's just amazing what he's doing. Um, uh, Hutchinson was in the backfield all game. He had a sack. He had a couple of tackles for loss. And, again, the interception was in the backfield as well. So everything Hutchinson is doing is on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And if you're going up against a Panthers struggling offensive line, it's just going to be that much easier for a guy like Hutchinson to get in the backfield to make plays. Uh, Carolina did get back in the game, briefly, they did get a fourth down stop. I know Patrick loves when uh, Dan Campbell goes for it on fourth downs. Now, this fourth down was kind of at the edge. It was at that in-between range where it's like maybe Riley Patterson can make that, maybe he can't. So I kind of got this one. But nonetheless, it's another Dan Campbell fourth down attempt. It's another missed fourth down that helped Carolina get back in the game. Carolina did engineer a touchdown drive. So they, they, they tried to get back in the game. But uh, after the fourth down stop, you had Miles Sanders, who's been struggling this year. He's had a groin issue and has not looked the same this year. He fumbled on the next possession. And again, when you're in Carolina and you finally do one thing right, you've got to capitalize. So Sanders with a critical turnover there. And basically that was it for Carolina. Uh, Detroit came right back. Uh, Back-to-back touchdowns for the Lions off of back-to-back turnovers from the Panthers. Again, the Sanders fumble and another Bryce Young interception. And after the Young interception, you you talk about a trick play uh, where the ball's moving around in the backfield, ends up in back in the hands of Jared Goff, and he hits Sam LaPorta for a wide-open touchdown, a play we'd see later that night. Um, Detroit was just having fun by the time the first half of this game ended. Uh, Jerry Jacobs got an interception in this game. Uh, Jacobs, that's three interceptions in his last two games. Jerry Jacobs had one career interception in his first 28 games. So Jacobs is on a hot roll right now. Uh, Bryce Young, to me, again, talk about the interceptions. He still doesn't look ready to me. Again, not an issue, but again, speaks to why I would not have had him playing these last couple of weeks. I would have milked that ankle injury for everything it was worth and let him get a few weeks to see the game from the sidelines because the game still looks like, to me, it's moving too fast for him. Now, Young did get a couple of touchdown passes in this game when the game was no longer competitive. We've seen him do this a couple of times, especially touchdown passes to Adam Thielen. If you got Thielen on your fantasy team, you are feasting on garbage time points, but it all counts the same in fantasy. But in real life, we're not seeing Bryce Young really make many good plays when these games are competitive. Uh, A couple other notes for Carolina, LaVisca Chenault Jr. Again, this was a former highly touted pick uh, coming out of Colorado as kind of a gadget receiver. Uh, You started seeing him be involved more in the run game. I don't know what that means for Miles Sanders. I don't know what that means for Chupa Hubbard. But uh, Chenault did get five carries in this game. We'll see what that means moving forward. But it seems like the Panthers want to involve him in some east-to-west running. Uh, they want to have him involved in like a almost like a Percy Harvin type of role, it seems. So we'll see if that evolves into something or if that's a bunch of nothing. Uh, Chandler Savala, NC State guy, uh, he was carted off the field. He's their rookie left guard. He's had his struggles this year, but a scary moment. Uh, he's lay motionless on the field for several minutes uh, before he was carted off the field. So um, it's being reported as a, a neck or a, a severe stinger. Uh, doesn't sound like he'll be back anytime soon, but um, we're hoping he just makes it out and it's okay. And uh, for the Lions, unfortunately, Emmanuel Mosley, who was making his season debut after tearing his ACL in week five last year, he tears his other ACL in week five this year. So uh, just a really, really, really tough break for Emmanuel Mosley. Feel bad for him. Uh, but, again, the Lions, they win. They go on to 4-1. and one. They'll have an interesting test next week going to Tampa with Tampa coming off a bye. That's a matchup that's probably got more at stake than people might have thought a few weeks ago. Uh, Detroit continues to look good. and If they can get St. Brown and Gibbs back, they can look even better. But, again, Carolina, it's a struggle, so they're not much of a litmus test there. Tampa will be a better litmus test to see just how far these Lions have come. But every test you've thrown at Detroit so far, they've aced almost every one of them, including this, you know, avoiding the trap game thing. But uh, you've got to be encouraged uh, if you're the Lions, especially when you look at the rest of your division right now.
1: Yeah, except Seattle. Detroit has looked good this entire year. Um, they're 4-1. and one. Their division's crap. This might be the worst division in all football. Uh, they got two one and four teams and a two and three team in Green Bay, which again, Green Bay could easily be four and one, but they're not they're two and three. So um Detroit's running away with that division and, and unless they have a collapse, um, they should <clears throat> easily win the north. Um, Goff just keeps playing good football. Uh, I know he threw a pick in that Seattle game and it cost them, but besides that mistake, he has pretty much played. Spotless football this year. Now I know he's not putting up big numbers, but they didn't need it in this game, right? They halftime was 28 to 10. Um, David Montgomery had 19 carries for 109 yards, so and Craig Reynolds had seven for 52, so that's 7.4 average. So just <coughs> they were running out on them at will. <coughs> and whenever he needed to make a pass, he did. Laporta had two touchdowns in this game. Josh Reynolds caught one. Um, you know, just, they pretty much did what they wanted to in this game. Um, I am, I am waiting to see Jamison Williams get more involved and I know he just got back. Um, you know, he was hurt in his rookie year and then he had the suspension this year. Um, he had two targets in this game and he had two yards. So, uh, three targets, I'm sorry, two catches, two yards, uh, so I'm just excited to see if he actually starts to get going. Because um, when he got back from his injury last year, they, they hit him on one big play, and they just kind of didn't use him uh, the rest of the year. So i will i be interested to see if they actually start to get him more involved uh, in the offense. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, man. Looking like Jacksonville should have took him number one. Uh, and I like Trayvon Walker. I think Trey Walker has played fine. But Aiden Hutchinson is just on another level. Um he has the most quarterback hur- hurries uh, by far in the NFL this year. He's in the 30s. I believe he's at 35, and the next closest person is at 27. So uh, Hutchinson has just been in the backfield every game, including this one. You already talked about the amazing interception. Uh, he also had two tackles for losses and a sack, um, and another quarterback hit to add to that. Um, he was just pressuring Bryce Young, and you talked about the offensive line for Carolina anyway. Um but he was just pressuring Bryce Young all day. Um Young still having your rookie mistakes, and I know you said you don't want to see him out there just getting beat up for the Panthers, especially since the Panthers don't even have their first draft pick this year. That goes to Chicago. So Um but you talked about Thielen. Thielen's looking good. Uh looking like, you know, the Vikings let a guy go they, they thought he was at the end of his Career and and he's just had a nice resurgence, being the number one receiver receiving option again uh, for a team. Because before Justin Jefferson, Thielen with Diggs, even though it was Thielen and Diggs, Thielen still you know as the number one option was was getting a lot of targets, and a lot of catches. Had that injury, but uh, nice bounce back year for Thielen. Um, again, we talked about Laporta. We like we both liked him coming out and getting drafted. You were obviously really hyping him up, and that guy just keeps. Producing in this offense, so that's nice to see. Um, but yeah, this this team. Um, so it was a it was a good team versus a bad team. I am interested in the Detroit Tampa Bay game next week. Uh, I'm interested in it for two reasons. I want to see the Lions against that defense. Um, again, Carolina wasn't really that hard of a test, but I also want to see how good the Bucks actually are. You know, I you, you don't really have a good since because they played Vikings Bears, who are both one and four. They lost to the Eagles, and then they beat the Saints, which I know the Saints just shut out the Patriots, but the Saints don't haven't looked good until they played the Patriots. So um I'm interested to see what the Buccaneers look like too. So I, I think it's gonna be a good test for both teams and to kinda see where they're both at. But uh Baker Mayfield may be on the run for his life with Aiden Hutchinson uh coming after him. So uh, I am interested to see uh, Detroit play Tampa. I think that'll be a good game next week. Staying in the South for uh, the AFC, though, we're going to move over to the Titans at the Colts. And um, this was a close game, 16-23. Uh, the biggest thing in this game, Julius, is that Anthony, for me anyway, is that Anthony Richardson got hurt. Um, You don't like to see it. I don't like to see it. Um, I think he takes unnecessary hits, and I understand that using his legs, that's one of the reasons you drafted him, so I understand doing it. Um, I just don't like the big hits that he consistently takes out of the pocket <clears throat> all the time. Um, I think when he to- when he- when this play was called, they were up, I think, 10-6. It may have been 17-6. to I just don't like the play call at that time. I don't mind you trying to utilize his legs and um and and use his athleticism again cuz that's why you drafted him. If you guys are down, if it's a close game, if you if you haven't been moving the ball, but Zach Moss was moving the ball. It's it's not like you guys weren't being able to run the ball on them. Um I think that's just what most frustrates me the most about the play call. Um I just didn't feel like it was necessary in that moment. Uh and and he was having a good game thrown too. He was 9 for 12, 98 yards. Uh you know, and I think his passing has been uh the surprise for a lot of people uh in his rookie season and it sucks that he's injured now and will miss a few weeks. Um it's been real fun to watch him play this year actually and and you know <coughs> Gardner Minju is a fine backup, but I really wanted to see Anthony Richardson play some more. Um, Tannehill's still starting for the Titans apparently, um, and he did a typical Tannehill things. You know, didn't really do much. He 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 got to DeAndre Hopkins, and DeAndre Hopkins had a vintage DeAndre Hopkins game with eight catches for one hundred and forty yards. Uh, but again, though, Tannehill didn't throw any touchdowns. Um, He kind of just zones in on Hopkins. I mean, I know Chig got nine targets, but he only had five catches. Uh, I feel like that's just kind of like Tannehill's check down whenever he's getting rushed. So he'll just be like, where's Chig? And just kind of checks it down to Chig. Um, But, you know, Zach Moss, man. I know Jonathan Taylor came back, and I know that was... Everyone was excited about that. I, I think they have a running back controversy because... Zach Moss, since he got healthy and, and came back into the lineup, Julius, he has been—he's been killing it uh, for 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 the Colts, and and I'm interested. I know Jonathan Taylor <coughs> has been practicing; he's not in game shape, so I know they're gonna ease him back in. But it's gonna be interesting to see once a few weeks happens if Zach Moss keeps running the way he's been doing it and being, you know, a threat out the backfield to catch it, and if Jonathan Taylor kind of stays on the same pace he is right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, without Anthony Richardson, you know, maybe they do rely on a two-running-back system. Um, but, you know, I, it's going to be interesting because Zach Moss really had a really good game uh, in this in this game. And shout-out to the Colts' defense. I feel like they don't get enough love, especially after that big uh, comeback they gave to the Vikings last year. I think a lot of people kind of, like... Um, Just don't believe in them, but they held the Titans to zero points in the fourth quarter when uh, they needed it. So, you know, they needed to get some stops, and they did. So uh, a lot of that had to do with also the Indianapolis run game and then controlling the clock. But again, zero points in the fourth quarter in a tightly contested game. uh, That's how you're going to win a lot of games in the NFL. So uh, this was a big game for the Colts, especially in the division. A division that's real tight and each game looks like it's going to matter. But Tennessee's 0-3 away from Tennessee this year. So that's also something to keep your eye on.
0: Congratulations to Jonathan Taylor. He got paid. I was adamant that I didn't think the Colts would pay him. I was also adamant that I didn't think the Colts would trade him. But I didn't think they would pay him either. So maybe, just maybe, there's hope for running backs to get paid after all. That said, Taylor was the headline going into the game. Like you said, Patrick, Moss was the headline in the game. Uh, the first score for the Colts came on a 56-yard touchdown run, the longest run of Moss's career. So you like to see a breakaway type of run from him. He's normally kind of got it grinds out tough yards, but you don't normally see the breakaway, kind of like with David Montgomery and yet they both had long touchdowns on Sunday. Uh, For the Moss touchdown run, he was basically untouched. Uh, He ran behind Quentin Nelson on that run, and I just wanted to highlight that name because I just felt like we haven't talked about Quentin Nelson in a while. Uh, He still, once he latches on to you, he can drive defenders back farther than anybody, and if you watch that touchdown run, Nelson and his man were way down the field uh, by the time Nelson was done with him. So great block by Nelson, great run by Moss, and like you said, Even with Taylor back in the fold, the way Moss is playing and 165 yards, that's that's his career best. He also had both of the Colts' touchdowns, and this is against a Titans defense that basically for the last two-plus years has been the best run defense in the league. So Moss is playing too well to just sit down. So we'll see how that Moss-Taylor split looks, but uh, that might be a little more even than people might have thought going into the season. You talk about Anthony Richardson and his injury. I would remind people that Anthony Richardson has played in four games. This is the third time he's been injured. Anthony Richardson, the Colts have played five games this year. Richardson's played in four. Anthony Richardson has finished one game this year. So when you talk about why I would have had hesitancy drafting him, when you talk about why I didn't pick him as my preseason rookie of the year, this is why. This is part of the reason why. Part of the reason is, you know, the inconsistency as a passer, and we've seen that. But part of the reason is, because of his style of play, that works in the SEC, which is basically a glorified Big 12 with the way they play defense now. It's not going to work in the NFL. Not long term. And so, when you look at how he's been injured, It's basically been the same play every time. A fake handoff and a designed run out to his right. So he's been hurt every time so far. Knee injury, concussion, now shoulder. Already. And he's been a pro for a little over a month. So the question becomes, are the Colts willing to? Because a big reason they drafted Richardson as high as they did is because he's such a threat as a runner. And you see the defenses are scared. That's part of the reason the Moss was able to have that long touchdown run is because the threat of Richardson running opens up holes in the middle of the field. But are the Colts willing to pull that back some in order to try to get more longevity out of Richardson? Because at the pace he's going, he's not going to last long at all. And we don't want to see that for a guy who has flashed a bunch of potential. He's been inconsistent, but flashed a bunch of potential. So we'll see how that turns out. But so far, it's concerning. Now, again, one of Patrick's favorite topics after to bringing it up. Uh, the Colts went for a fourth and one at the Tennessee Five instead of kicking a field goal to end the first half. Uh, they actually called a good play. They got Colin Granson wide open. So I thought Granson would get a touchdown. I thought uh, Patrick would have to see another picture of Colin Granson holding up a football like a baby. That didn't happen because Minchu. Missed a wide open pass. So that cost Indianapolis points in this game. Didn't cost them the game, fortunately, but that's something that could have easily uh, turned the game around. Now, with eight minutes left, this is a game where both teams kick their fair share of field goals. Eight minutes left in the game. Tennessee has the ball inside the Colts ten. with eight minutes left. You can kick a field goal, make it 2019, where if you can get another stop, get another field goal, you win the game. Tennessee goes for fourth and one, down four. Derrick Henry gets stopped short. Zaire Franklin gets in the backfield. Again, one of the best off-ball linebackers in football. And DeForest Buckner got in on the tackle. And my question is, why are we running a play in that situation at DeForest Buckner? (laughs) DeForest Buckner is one of the most difficult interior defensive linemen in the NFL to move. Why you chose to run at him? buckler did not have to move off his spot to make the play on this on this one i just don't understand that so we can question why they weren't kicking field goals but you can kind of justify going for fourth down you cannot justify running at the force buck that was a major issue for me uh, then when you got to the end of the game again it was zach moss who basically ran off the clock made indianapolis burn their timeouts ran out most of the clock so again Moss is highly productive Uh, Moss's best games this year have been where Minshew plays most of the game. So when Richardson gets back, hopefully, and I said this before a couple of episodes ago, I'll say it again. When you have Richardson back, remember that you have guys who can run the ball who aren't Richardson. So let's continue to feed Moss and work Taylor back into the lineup even after Richardson gets back. So uh, a couple of notes here. Uh, Ty J Spears got his first career touchdown on an end of round. I like how the, the Titans are mixing him in. It's not just Derrick Henry all the time as it has been in years past. Derrick Henry is still obviously getting the vast majority of carries, but Spears is getting more touches than we're normally seeing from uh, backup running backs in Tennessee. So I think that's a good sign. Uh, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. He looked like his prime self. He almost caught a circus toe tap touchdown in the back of the end zone on a Derrick Henry pass. Of course, not a Tannehill pass, but a Derrick Henry pass. Uh, but uh, uh, Hopkins wasn't able to land in bounds. But overall, still a great game from him. On the Colts side, just a quick note Josh Downs, the rookie out of North Carolina, led the team with six receptions for 97 yards. Uh, Downs was just used close to the line of scrimmage the first three games of the year. So he only was averaging 8.3 yards per catch, a very low average for a wide receiver. Last two games, he's almost doubled that. He's averaging 16.4 yards a catch. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. If you're in the league and you need a receiver, guys have been injured the last couple of weeks. Josh Downs is certainly a name to keep in mind. Moving over to the New Orleans Saints who completely and utterly embarrassed the New England Patriots in Foxborough, 34-0. Now, for me, even understanding the Patriots aren't a good team, uh, Patrick, you and I both predicted that the Patriots would finish last, and I think most of America predicted that the Patriots would finish last in their division. It's still tough for me to adjust to the idea that the Patriots are sitting here at home getting embarrassed and shut out like this. It's hard to envision a Patriots team that has three points in the last two games. In the last two games, they're averaging one and a half points a game. A safety gets you, two, (laughs) And the Patriots aren't even averaging a safety a game over the last couple of games. It's it's painful to watch. Uh, As expected, both of these offenses, which, you know, the Oilers offense hasn't come into this game looking much better. Both of these offenses got off to slow starts. You expect that. The first touchdown comes from a Tyron Matthew pick six. So again, the most important position of football playmaking safety, putting his team on the board first and just felt like with the way these offenses are going, a pick six early in the game could potentially end the game and essentially did. Uh, Alvin Kamara got a touchdown in this game. So congratulations for him for setting a new uh, Saints career touchdown record. Good on him. Uh, Chris Olave got his first touchdown of the season finally, but it's his second straight game under 40 yards. Again, up until last week, he had at least 40 yards in every game in his career. Last two weeks, he's been under 40 both games, so you still want to see him get more involved. Olave did have a chance in garbage time to catch a 30-yard touchdown, but did not survive the ground on his diving attempt. So uh, an underwhelming game for him, but he did find the end zone uh for new england just just nothing nothing good going for new england uh, at the end of the first half it looked like they might have a chance to get on the board but they lost 17 yards on back-to-back sacks uh tano passing john and carl granderson both being able to beat trent brown for those sacks you don't see trent brown give up too many sacks but on those plays back-to-back he gave up sacks that knocked new england out of field goal range and then you know you start the second half with a fumble if you're New England, so it's just a bunch of self-inflicted plays. I mean, this is a botched pitch to Ramondre Stevenson, so just disasters everywhere to look for the Patriots. Cameron Jordan was able to recover that botched pitch. Uh, just, just nothing good to say about New England. And their last couple of games, specifically for McCorkle Jones, his last couple of games, 260 total passing yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. So he's just not getting it going. You don't really have a better option. Bailey Zappi was highly productive in college, but just doesn't have the physical tools to succeed at the NFL level. So you're just stuck if you're New England, and it's not it's not going to get better. Uh, when you look at Jones's interception in this, in this game, the first one, again, the pick six to Matthew, I don't know what he was doing on that play, just trying to a desperation, throw to get out of trouble. It just made an issue worse. The second interception, you can say, was, wasn't really Jones' fault. He did get it to Ty Montgomery the second. Uh, Montgomery got popped by Jordan Howden. He's filling in for Marcus May at the most important position in football play, making safety. So your backup safety is making a big hit to pop the ball up in the air and create an interception opportunity for the defense. And Pete Warner took advantage for that interception. But uh, just ugliness all the way around. Uh, More Patriots, bad news, Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. This is a backfield that they were counting on to be productive. Those two running backs, two running backs combined, have 91 rushing yards over the last two games. Both of them averaging under three yards a carry. So when you can't run the ball and you can't pass the ball, it kind of creates a struggle. Last note for the Patriots, Chad Rylan with his fourth missed field goal of the season. He's tied for the league lead and misses this year despite the fact that he's only attempted eight kicks. So he's 23rd in the league in field goal attempts and tied for first in misses. So just absolutely nothing going right for the Patriots. And all I have to say about that is, please keep that same energy when y'all come to Las Vegas next week. This is the offense I want to see a week from now. Please and thank you, Patriots. Uh, as for the Saints, uh, just one more quick note on them. Foster Moreau former Raider, had his first touchdown in this game since he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma earlier this year. So happy for him. Happy, as again, as a Raiders fan to see an ex-Raider have that, but just as a person to see somebody come back from that disease and be able to get back to what they do, you love to see that. So good on him, and, and this was the perfect game forward against the Patriots team that basically stopped fighting back halfway through the game. Uh, so the Saints, they improved to 3-2. and two. Uh, they're in an interesting division race. We didn't necessarily think that three teams in this division would have winning records after week five. But here we are. Let's we'll see if the Saints can keep it up. They'll have a much different test next week against Houston. So uh, they're an interesting team. But I still need to see more from this Saints offense against a team that actually wants to compete.
1: <clears throat> yeah, this game had 15 punts for three. for. <laughs> I'm sorry, for 660 yards. So I'm not... I'm not going to talk about this game much. You touched on all the stuff that we needed to touch on. Um, This game, Derek Carling threw for 183 yards and two touchdowns, and they won. So, um, I mean, shout out to Kamari. You already talked about him, you know, become the Saints' all-time leading touchdown getter. Um, Again, this game was just an ugly game. The Patriots had like 150 yards of offense, which is awful. Um, They had three turnovers. It was just an ugly, ugly game. Um, there's really not much more to talk about. Uh, uh, the Chad Ryland thing, I will give him the benefit of the doubt, not only because he's a rookie, but he's a Terp. But no, uh, two of his missed field goals are from 50-plus, and the other two are from 45-plus. So again, not saying that that gives you a pass, but at least he hasn't missed an extra point, and, and at least he hasn't you know, been shanking 30-yarders uh, like Cade York, so can't
0: um, yeah, can't miss extra points if you don't kick.
1: Uh, not he's ten for ten, so I'm just saying <laughs> ten for ten. ten
0: extra points in five games. <laughs> uh,
1: that's not on him. That's on the offense. That's not on he's doing. Well, that's, that's, what,
0: that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not blaming him. I'm, I'm just saying, but I mean, uh, that, 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 this offense is not giving him a chance to miss extra points.
1: That's that's true too. But uh, his misses <laughs> have been long field goals, and if anyone's ever actually lined up for a field goal, you realize it's not as easy as these guys who are in the NFL make it look. Um, but, yeah, it's been a bad start all around for New England. <coughs> Hopefully, Ryland can get it together and doesn't have to kick 55-yard field goals his entire career because you're probably not going to have a great uh, field goal percentage if you have to kick 55-yarders most of the time. So, um, I don't know what you do with Mac Jones. I, <coughs> I don't know how much longer he can stay. The starting quarterback for New England, with the offense looking this terribly, um, as back-to-back games where they had less than 200 yards of offense, um, it's it's been real bad for for the Patriots. They, they, their rushing game has been non-existent, their passing game's been non-existent. Um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster got paid and stuff by playing with Patrick Mahomes last year, and now he looks like he can't do anything. Um, it's just a bad, the Patriots are just a bad, bad team. And yes, we both said that they would finish last in their division, but I was not expecting them to look, look this bad. Um, you know, a lot of that did Belichick make Brady or Brady make Belichick talk. It, it, it's starting to lean towards Brady made Belichick. Uh, it, it, it's not looking too good for Belichick. And in, in new Orleans, I mean, in new England with, with, uh, the new England with the Patriots way, it's just, it's not looking good the last few years. Um, As for New Orleans, I still don't know what this team is. So, uh, they had a really bad game against the Buccaneers, even though they still had a chance to win that game. The offense hasn't looked good in any of the games. Uh, I know Derek Carr injured his non-throwing shoulder, and that might be hindering him, and we didn't really need to see anything from their offense in this game. So, um, yeah, next week in Houston is going to be interesting because we know C.J. Stroud can put up yards and, and points. So, uh, if New Orleans falls behind early, how will they react? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, I'm with you on New Orleans. Julius. I just don't, I don't know what to make of that team yet. Uh, but again, they're in a division uh, where Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and them and them are three and one, three and two, three and two. So um, it's up for grabs. And Atlanta doesn't look like world beaters. They had to come from behind to beat the Texans, 21 to 19 last week. So uh, New Orleans is definitely in a division that's wide open and that and as if their offense can can meet their defense halfway, uh they should be able to make some noise uh within that division. Move into a game that if you hate black quarterbacks you loved and if you like football you hated. Um this is a blow the whistle game for me, Julius. Uh we're talking about the Ravens in Pittsburgh. Um <laughs> We've talked about multiple weeks now on this podcast about analytics and coaches overthinking it and doing things they shouldn't do, and this is a perfect example of your coaches getting in the way. This is also a perfect example of box scores don't tell you everything that happened in the game. So, uh, if you look at this game, the Ravens didn't score in the second half. Uh, Pittsburgh only scored in the second quarter and the fourth quarter. They won by 7. It was a 17-10 game. You would think, great defense uh, and all that. And to some point, the second half, Pittsburgh Steelers' defense was really good. But, to another point, the Ravens' receivers probably dropped three touchdowns in this game. Um, Again, Lamar haters are going to be like, this is why Lamar sucks. And you paid him too much money, which I've seen that on the Ravens fans going crazy. Lamar's overpaid and overhyped, can't ever win a big game, blah, blah, blah. Which just goes to show me, no matter what he does, they're just going to hate him. Because if you watch this game, you saw Zay Flowers drop the pass. You saw Mark Andrews drop passes. You saw Rashad Bateman drop passes. Um, it just... Nelson Aguilar, you like you know just everyone on the team was dropping passes. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was seven or eight dropped passes in this game. Um, Rashad Bateman had a terrible drop pass for a touchdown. Mark Andrews had a touchdown go through his hands. Um, Zay Flowers had a long pass where he, I don't even know if it hit his hands and it was a drop technically, but he was running, stopped running, then tried to backpedal, fell down, and the ball hit the ground. Um, just. It was just a terrible, terrible game from the receiving core in this game. And again, if you watch the box scores and you just look at that, you would look at this game and go, "Oh, Lamar Jackson, 22 for 38 with an interception. He sucks, right?" And that's not what happened at all. Um, the fumble uh, that that they that they that T.J. Watt recovered, that Highsmith uh, knocked out of his hands, uh, Lamar Jackson at the end of the game. I mean, yes, I guess you can put that on him but it should have never been in that situation to begin with, Julius. Um, the fact that they didn't kick a field goal before half and the the reasoning that came out was the center tried to pull... They thought they saw someone line up in the neutral zone, so they tried to get the penalty. They were supposed to just run the clock down and then kick the field goal so Pittsburgh wouldn't have time to score before half. Um, it's just stupid to me. It either call the field goal or... Don't call the field goal. Like I don't, I don't like this uncertainty of and it, and if that's not the truth, that's just a lazy excuse then, because that that excuse to me just doesn't make any sense, right? John Howard came out and was like we weren't supposed to snap it, We're supposed to run the clock out, then kick the field goal, blah 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 blah. Well, then do what you said you're going to do then. Don't don't have it where you know. I just I don't like I don't like that whole situation. Um, and then yes, Lamar forced the pass to Odell Beckham Jr. and it was a terrible pass. Uh, he tried to do a fade route and he threw it inside instead of throwing it outside. So if he didn't catch it, it would go out bounds. Um, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, is the one that got the pick. So you know, congratulations to Joey Porter Jr. Uh, he was maligned a lot in training camp about getting beat by George Pickens, um, and then George Pickens had a huge day in this game. And you know, we know Kenny Pickett's going to force it to George Pickens, uh, and that's not a bad plan. Uh, The thing that concerns me the most for the Steelers, Julius, is their run game is still non-existent. Najee Harris, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's their scheme. um, But besides Pickett to Pickens in this game, their offense was pretty much non-existent. Um, The Ravens' defense, you can't blame them for this loss. Uh, They did everything in their power to win the game. Um, Again, they, you know... They held them to three points through three quarters, and then the flood the flood gates just kind of broke and, and the dam busted open. So um, it's just that's a there's a tough pill to swallow if you're the Ravens. Uh, this is a game that you dominated for thirty six minutes. Like I did, was just a bad loss, and, I, and I'm putting a lot of it on the coach. Um, when you try to get cute, Julius, and you don't just. Do what's best for your team. Take the points. Do what you need to do. Uh, this is normally what happens, and we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it for weeks. We've been talking about how Brandon Stanley has gotten lucky two games in a row for his stupid fourth down going for it. Um, in this game, Harbaugh just, you know, it falls back on the head coach for me. Even if that wasn't the play that was called, I would have been like, no. We're not going out there trying to burn clock. Just send the field goal unit out. Um, if that was what your plan was to do anyway. So that's... I didn't like the reasoning behind it. I didn't like the explanation of what happened on that play. Um, so, yeah, this game, man, I just, the Ravens could be 5-0. and uh, They should not have lost the two games that they lost to the Colts and to now the Steelers. Um, Steelers jump ahead to first place in the division because they hold the tiebreaker. Um, Cincinnati's on a win streak. So now, instead of Baltimore being at 5-0 and and having a stranglehold in this division with the Pittsburgh being two and three, Cleveland being two and two, and Cincinnati being two and three. They're three and two. And they're three and two with Pittsburgh and they've lost to Pittsburgh. They're the only team in the division that has a positive point differential. Um, and it just well, besides Cleveland, Cleveland's seventy six and sixty, but again, Cleveland was on a bye week, so uh, but Pittsburgh's leading the division. They're, they're, they're 79 and 110. 79 points for, 110 points against. It just, doesn't, like, it just doesn't make sense. And so you can't lose these games as a professional football team, and you can't lose them the way that you're losing them. Uh, again, this is a second loss that I'm putting on the coaching and not Lamar Jackson. Again, I, yeah, that interception was a bad throw. I'm not trying to sit here and say Lamar Jackson played a perfect game. But for all these idiots that are out here putting the total blame on Lamar, it's like, either watch the game or don't, or don't comment on it. Like, if you, like, this game is a perfect example of what this podcast is all about. We say, this is for, our podcast is for people who only look at box scores. We're going to give you context to go along with those numbers. If you didn't watch this game, Lamar Jackson had 7-8 to eight dropped passes that would have resulted in a much different game. This game probably would have been 31-17. to 17. Um, that's all I got to say about Julius. I'm, I'm tired of these random takes that people have about this guy sucks and this guy doesn't. Uh, it, just, it like the, the goalpost moves so much for quarterbacks and we know why we know why mainly it moves for quarterbacks. And I'm just tired of, we've been talking about it for three years. Um, I'm just, or two years, I'm just tired of it. And, and, and it just, it's just getting old at this point. Like if you don't like a player, fine, but like to, to, to say that they're overpaid and they suck and blah, blah, I don't hear that about, you haven't heard I haven't heard that about Joe Burrow all year. They keep saying, oh, his calf injury, his calf injury. Joe Burrow has looked like shit through four games. He had a good game this week, but he looked awful for four. No one was saying he's overpaid. He's the highest-paid quarterback in the league. So, like, why is there such a big differential here? And Joe Burrow has much better weapons at wide receiver. So, and running back. So, like, let's be honest. Like, we know what it is. is.
0: I'm, I'm tired of it, and I'm done talking about it. <laughs> uh Lamar Jackson gets gets a lot of people emotional uh that's just the reality and again like you said we absolutely know why but uh, getting into this game first off I do want to thank the Steelers because I did no you know, you know that's my bold prediction is that they were going to win this division and it's still not looking great for Pittsburgh <laughs> it's not like they were great in this game Uh, But that prediction looks much better than it did a week ago. So I'll take that. Uh, We were sitting here last week and we were talking about how Baltimore had the opportunity uh, to kind of separate themselves in this division. When you looked at the state of the rest of the teams in the division, every other team had concerns with injury at the quarterback position. Baltimore's got the healthy quarterback. They've got the best roster It looks like they're going to take off. Then all of a sudden, this game happens. And the drops are the story of this game. If if you watch this game, like you said, and didn't just click on stats at the end, you saw it from the beginning. Zay Flowers on the second play of the game or second pass of the game dropped a pass, and it was all downhill from there. That was a harbinger of what was to come for this game. You mentioned Mark Andrews, uh, the touchdown that he had, it went through his hands. It was high, and it had some smoke on it. Mark Andrews historically doesn't catch those kind of passes, so I'm not too upset about that. Andrews had another drop in this game, but it was like if he caught the ball, he would gain like three yards to set up the second and seven or something like that. So not too worried about him. Uh, Zay Flowers, again, you talked about how he fell down on a deep ball that was thrown accurately. Uh, that led to an incompletion. Uh, Flowers dropped two other passes, not counting, falling down on a perfectly thrown ball. But I am gonna give Flowers a pass because he is a rookie. He's made a share of rookie mistakes this year. There's been times where he hasn't known to play, hasn't known where to line up. Uh, he had the fair catch gaffe at the end of the Indianapolis game to keep that game alive for the Colts. But more often than not, Flowers has made plays for this offense. So I'm just going to chalk it up to one of those days uh, for... Flowers. Nelson Aguilar dropped a long touchdown to get a perfectly thrown ball that went right through with his hands. He didn't even bobble the ball, it just went through his hands. But that's who Nelson Aguilar is. And it's ironic because we've been watching Nelson Aguilar do this for a long time. When he was dropping passes from Carson Wentz, Nelson Aguilar took the blame. When he was dropping passes from Derek Carr, Nelson Aguilar took the blame. When he was dropping passes from McCorkle Jones, Nelson Aguilar took the blame. All of a sudden, you drop passes from Lamar Jackson, and it's Lamar Jackson's fault. That's just the world we live in. It's funny to me. The guy I'm disappointed in is Rashad Bateman. Because Nelson Aguilar, again, we know who he is. That's that's on the front office making that move. Zay Flowers, again, he's had better days. Rashad Bateman is the one who I was high on and has shown very little when he's been healthy, which has been rare. The touchdown pass that he dropped, that's just too easy. It's too easy of a play to make. You don't make it. You know. And I hear people say all the time, well, if Lamar's that good, he should just be able to overcome that. Bateman's drop was on third and goal. You, you, you can't overcome a third and goal drop because now the decision is in the coach's hands and the coach is electing to kick a field goal. You can't, you can't overcome that. Catch the ball. So uh, Rashad Bateman, again, a guy who I was high on coming out of Minnesota, and he has just done absolutely nothing but disappoint in this offense. So I'm frustrated for the Ravens that, that he has not come through the way that I thought he would when he came out of college. All that said, with the Ravens beating the heck out of the Ravens for most of the game, they still did build a 10-0 lead. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about the drops all game, but I'm going to give the Steelers some credit. Uh, you had Larry Joby. Hustle downfield, catch Justice Hill from behind, punch the ball out, pause a big turn over there. Again, the Steelers were down 10 0 when Ogan Joby made that play, so that's a defensive play that got the Steelers back into the game. The Steelers also blocked a punt. The Steelers' special teams coming through. That led to a safety, almost led to a touchdown. It was inches away. <laughs> if the, guys, the guy who recovered it, if he was a little shorter, his elbow might have landed in bounds and he might have. Had a touchdown instead of a safety, but again, the special teams came through and made a play. Uh, that was Miles Killebrew who had that block punt, and you probably guessed it Miles Killebrew is a safety, so technically, that's a safety. Most important position in football playmaking safety, making a play on special teams to get his team back in the game. But then, this deal of special teams also let him down Gunnar Olszewski, who is having a rough season. If you've been following him, bad things continue to happen when Olszewski returns kicks this year. Uh, He fumbled a punt to set up the Ravens basically with a free opportunity for a first and goal. And that's what preceded uh, the Joey Porter Jr. interception in the end zone that Patrick talked about. And I just want to talk about that one for a second. I'm not so much mad at the pass. I'm mad at the play. Odell Beckham Jr. is washed up. It took almost nothing for him to get hurt again. And ask yourself this question. Take the Ravens out of the equation if you've seen Odell Beckham Jr. on three other teams besides the Raiders, ask yourself, when is the last time, honestly, you've seen Odell Beckham Jr. win a jump ball one-on-one? It probably was five or six years ago. So why are we calling that play? There is no world or universe that exists in 2023 where Odell Beckham Jr. is ever going to win a jump ball against Joey Porter Jr., no matter where the ball is placed. So you call a play that has a 100% chance of failure And act surprised when it fails. Now here's where I will hold Lamar Jackson accountable. Not on the pass, but on the play. Because it was Lamar Jackson who told us. This is not speculation. Lamar Jackson told us, I like this offense better because this year I get more say in the offense. I get more input. I can suggest plays. Well, why in the world would you suggest that play? If you have the input that you say you have, Lamar Jackson, then that play should have been canceled from the beginning. Odell Beckham Jr. can't win a jump ball against the athletic 6-2 corner in 2023. It's impossible. So why run that play? That's my issue with that play. Again, we get to later in the game. You talked about George Pickens. When George Pickens gets it rolling, and it, it's up and down because he's not a big separator. But when he gets rolling, he he is fun to watch. He has some acrobatic catches in this game. Uh, He had the eventual game-winning touchdown. He did push off a little bit on Marlon Humphrey at the end of that play. But uh, as long as you're not Jacoby Myers and as long as you don't do it in a Raiders uniform, it's okay to push off on a deep pass. So he's all good to go there. The last three possessions for the Ravens were that interception by Porter. You talked about the strip sack by Alex Highsmith, and then the turnover on downs with T.J. Watt closing out the show with a sack on fourth down. So with the game on the line, you basically turn the ball over three times. That'll lose you the game. So that's what it came down to for me. My other concern with the Ravens is, you know, you and I, Patrick, we were excited to see a new looking offense here in Baltimore. And yet, now we're five games into the season for the Ravens, and who leads Baltimore in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns? Lamar Jackson. That's the number one thing I hope not to see this year. And it's happening. You're like, counting on one man to be the entire offense, be the entire passing game, obviously, and to be the entire running game. It's just not a recipe for sustained success. It's a recipe for scoring 10 points in a loss to Pittsburgh. Another concern for the Ravens, Nelson Aguilar is the only player on this team averaging 12 yards a catch. 12 yards a catch is a fairly low bar. You got guys in the league now, especially as the passing game open up around the league, you got guys averaging 17, 18, probably in some cases 20 yards a catch. And you have nobody averaging more than 12. You just can't win in today's NFL if there aren't going to be big plays in your passing game. So Baltimore has major concerns on the offensive side of the ball. And that's the side of the ball that I was less concerned about when I had Baltimore finishing third in this division in my uh, preseason predictions. The defense looks good, although they've also faced some, a bunch of bad offenses and in some cases backup quarterbacks, but the offense is a real letdown. So they're going to have to find a way to be better uh, against the Titans. As for the Steelers, this is a huge win. You get to go into the bye week feeling good about yourself. And again, it's, it was ugly. But if you're Pittsburgh, when's the last time a Pittsburgh Steelers team has been about power points? So they'll take it. They're in first place. They get to sit back and see what happens in the division next week. They got to feel good about themselves. Moving on, but staying in the division. The Cincinnati Bengals able to knock off the Arizona Cardinals, the always feisty Arizona Cardinals, 34-20. Jamar Chase, Mr. I'm always open. He talked the talk. He walked the walk. Came into this game with no touchdowns. He left this game with three. He also had 15 catches, a Cincinnati Bengals record, 192 yards. It's a monster game from Jamar Chase. And all year long, through four weeks, we've talked about Cincinnati and how bad this offense has been, particularly to start off games. This game was the total opposite. First drive of the game, Joe Burrow goes 7-for-7 with the touchdown. Three of those completions to Jamar Chase. Now, he's still a little bit concerned at that point because although it was 7-for-7 and the offense looked smooth, there still wasn't that explosive throw. There still wasn't that vintage burrow throw or play that reminded you of why we've been high on joe burrow for the last couple of years you go back to josh dobbs and what he did on the other side of the ball carlos fell behind early 10 nothing but dobbs engineers a drive to keep him in the game that was a perfect pass uh, 25 yards to marquise brown for a touchdown uh, good looking catch as well by brown i got to give him credit And uh, Arizona was able to score another touchdown and actually took a 14-10 lead. They were helped out by a personal foul penalty on a punt return. So, uh, again, special teams affecting the game once again uh, basically helped Arizona get another touchdown. So, the Cardinals, again, those feisty Cardinals, they had a 14-10 lead in this game. Uh, With two minutes left in the first half, the Bengals go for it on fourth and goal. Again, Patrick's favorite thing. They don't get it. But they do leave the ball right on the goal line for Arizona. Josh Dobbs comes out, hadn't thrown an interception all year, but he's thrown out of his own end zone. Feels a little rushed. His first interception of the season is a short pick six. And now, when you thought you were going to go into the halftime with at least a four-point lead, now you go into the half trail. And by the way, Dobbs finished the first half Oh, for his last six with that pick six. So he kind of fell apart in a way that we haven't seen him fall apart. At the end of the first half of this game, it didn't help that James Conner didn't finish the first half with a knee issue. And now Conner's on injured reserve. So uh, the Cardinals are going to have to figure out their run game. We have to see if it's going to be Amari Di Mercado. If it's going to be Keontae Ingram, some mix of the two, maybe somebody else mixes in maybe more Rondell Moore carries, but uh, losing Connor uh, in the first half of this game was big. Because Connor looked like he was on his way to another good game. Uh, You know, guys have to make plays when they have the chance to. Antonio Hamilton had a chance to make an interception in this game, and he might have took it to the house if he came down with it, but he didn't. So that was a break for Burrow and the Bengals. The first drive of the second half was finally where we saw that signature explosive throw that we have not seen at all from Burrow all year. First drive the second half, he, Burrow hits Chase in stride, 63 yards for a touchdown. That's the element that has been missing from this offense all year. So that play started making me feel better about Joe Burrow physically. Then we saw Burrow run for 10 yards. We saw Burrow try to run again, dive, and get four yards. So all of this movement, all of a sudden you're seeing Joe Burrow escape the pocket, make throws down the field. That was new. That was something we have not seen at all this year. So that made me think Burrow looks like he's back. And if he is, this Cincinnati team can be dangerous, especially with the other teams in this division scuffling on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, again, Arizona, they stayed in this game. Uh, Tavon Wallace got the interception. Again, a playmaking safety. Most important position in football. Brought the team back in the game. Now, Trenton Derwin fell on that play, but Hey, well, Wallace still made the play, so I'll give him, give him the credit there. I didn't agree with uh, an Arizona decision to go for fourth down inside the red zone. Under two minutes left in the third quarter. But again, that's Patrick's favorite thing, just going for fourth down because analytics told you to. Uh, yeah, Josh Dobbs was trying to run for a first down, and that got shut down by Jermaine Pratt. Shout out Wolfpack. I don't know if that decision was impacted by Matt Prater missing an extra point earlier and by the Cardinals being down four at that time instead of three, but I just thought it was too early to chase points, and you're still in the third quarter. Uh, Jermaine Pratt also added an interception to this game, so nice game for my Wolfpack brother there. So again, this is the best Cincinnati's offense has looked all year. This is the best that Joe Burrow has looked. This is the best that he's looked in terms of his mobility, in terms of his accuracy on the deep ball. This is what I was waiting to see. And we'll see if it continues, but for one game, all is good for Cincinnati. One interesting note for them, you assume with T. Higgins out of the lineup uh, that Tyler Boyd would step into that wide receiver two role. But in this game, it was Trenton Irwin, and although he did fall and now turned into an interception, outside of that, uh, Irwin had a pretty good game. So uh, that's interesting to see, especially if Higgins misses more time, to see if Irwin stays in that uh, wide receiver two role, or if that was just a one-game thing based on matchups. Uh, Cincinnati has an interesting matchup coming up against Seattle, Our rest of the Seattle team, a Seattle team that is young in the secondary, so maybe there's chances if this Bengals' offense really is back. We'll see. And those, again, those feisty Cardinals, I have to keep calling them that because they have stayed in every game. Even this game is closer than the score might indicate. They get the Rams next, and that's another team they can hang with, but not sure they can beat them. So Arizona's kind of 1-4 and four is where we expect the Cardinals to be. But they've been competitive, as much as you can be, to be a 1-4 and four team. Yeah, so I've been talking about Burrow all year on this podcast,
1: every week. Um, and he definitely stepped up this week. Um, still threw a pick, but stepped up this week uh, to, to have his best game of the season. And, and who did he do it with? Jamar Chase. I mean, if you look at Jamar Chase's number, 15 catches out of the 36 for Burrow, 192 yards out of the 317, and all the touchdowns. So, um, if you're going to get going, that's a good guy to throw it to, to to, to get going. Um, Julius touched on almost everything in this game. Uh, I do want to say, though, even with Burrow looking so good, Cincinnati was in a fight up until the fourth quarter. So, Again, as Julius talked about, Arizona was leading 14-10 to until Dobbs threw a terrible pick-six, which got Cincinnati right back in the lead, 17-14, going into half. And then, <clears throat> again, they hit the they hit the big play to Jamar Chase coming out of halftime. And it's 24-14. You're like, all right, Arizona's going to lay down. This game's over. And then they go to 11-play, 75-yard drive, get a touchdown, miss the extra point, unfortunately. And so it's 24-20. So, I mean... This game and then as Julius talked about, they went for on fourth down trying to kick the field goal to make it twenty-four-twenty-three, which I feel like they should have done. And then after the after that stop, I feel like all the momentum went to to the because then they went on a fifteen play eighty three yard drive and killed nine minutes in the fourth quarter. To and then that went they go up thirty one twenty and the game's essentially over at that point. Um yeah Dobbs looked rattled in this game more than he has in any of the other games um losing Cotter's terrible because your leading rusher was Rondell Moore which that you don't want that to happen um but yeah this game just again it just it just sucks uh for Arizona' because I feel like they're definitely playing as hard like you said playing as they're probably playing harder than a lot of these other teams that I wanted for like the Patriots like Arizona's been more competitive than the Patriots um Arizona's been more competitive than the Panthers, or more competitive than the Broncos, or the Titans. And the Titans are two and three, right? Or the Vikings, the Bears. So um, it just sucks that the Giants. Uh, it just sucks that you know they're one and four when I feel like they've been playing more competitive football and, and 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 really taking these games down to the wire in their games. And then some of these other teams are just kind of not looking as hot, but um you know that's just kind of how your schedule falls and again they they gave up that terrible comeback to the giants or they would be 2 and 3 um but again they're looking a lot tougher of an opponent than i th- thought they would at all this year i thought they would look more like the panthers are looking um but they are with Josh Dobbs actually being very competitive and like again this was probably Dobbs worst game Um, of the season and still the Bengals had to fight their way to this win. So that's the only thing that's going to concern me with the Bengals is that even when Arizona didn't look that great, they still needed a pick six and they still needed, you know, a huge play from Jamar Chase to to kind of put this game away. Um, and, And, you know, it was tough for them to put away Arizona and we don't think that Arizona has that great of a defense. So I am interested to see, What the Bengals look like, even though it's only at home, which is good for them, because even though Seattle's 2 0 away this year, normally West Coast teams have a bad time traveling for the 1 o'clock game. So I will be interested. It is interesting. I I am interested to see the Bengals play Seattle next week, um, just to see kind of where Joe Burrow's at, where the offense is at, um, and where the defense is at, because Seattle should put a lot of pressure on um, the Bengals' defense. And as for Arizona, you already talked about they're going to L.A. where the Rams are 0-2 at home. Uh, all their wins are, are on the road. Um, but, you know, the Rams have also played tough in every game, and now that Cooper Cup is back, um, I got a feeling that it's going to be um, their first home win this coming this weekend, Julius, because that, that combo of Puka and Cooper is going to be deadly, I think. Uh, I think Stafford has two guys that he trusts now. Um, Rams traded away Van Jefferson, which everyone thought was going to become something. He went to the Falcons. I don't know why. And Maybe the Falcons are going to start throwing the ball down the field now. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the Rams have their guys, and Stafford has his guys. So I think uh, the Cardinals are going to – hopefully they can make it competitive because we don't really like to see blots, but I just have a feeling that the Rams are going to – Walk away with it, with that one. That's a perfect segue into the next game, Julius, where Philly went to Los Angeles and played the Rams. Um, another tightly contested game. Um, again, it was seventeen to fourteen at half. No one scored in the third quarter, and the Eagles got six points in the fourth. And the Rams didn't score in the second half of this game either. Uh, for the Eagles to win twenty three to fourteen. Um. Jalen Hurts had 15 carries in this game for 72 yards. I'm not a big fan of Jalen Hurts getting that many carries. Um, I understand the team ran it 39 times, and DeAndre Swift had 17, and Gainwell had 7. But not all those Jalen Hurts runs were pressure, let me roll out and make something out of nothing. Some of them were designed runs, and I talked about this with Anthony Richardson. I'm not a fan. Jalen Hurts doesn't take as big of hits as Richardson does, but uh, I'm just not a fan of setting my quarterback up to, to get hit. Um, he also threw for 300 yards in this game, so big day for um, um, Hertz. Uh, welcome back, Cooper Cup. As we talked about, 12 targets. He had eight catches for 118 yards. Most of that damage was in the first half of this game. Um, again, the Eagles only punted once in this game, uh, but they had to settle for a lot of field goals. They had three of them on the day. Uh they just couldn't get it done once they got into the red zone and and again Puka had eleven targets, Cooper Cup had twelve. Um and so when Matthew Stafford likes you, he's gonna he's gonna look out for you. And Puka got a touchdown in this game, which was great. Tutu Atwell got a touchdown in this game, so even though Cooper Cup was back, at least Tutu is getting some uh, looks still, Julius. He's not he's not down to one uh target. Um so that's nice to see. Uh, The thing that I'm worried about for the Eagles, even though they got the W and they're 5-0, it doesn't seem like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith can coexist together. And what I mean by that is, Devontae Smith had two big games, week one and week two. A.J. Brown didn't. And then, and then A.J. Brown kind of had his little temper tantrum on the sideline. Now he's had big games and Devontae Smith hasn't. And so... I understand that uh, Dallas Goddard was the other guy in this game, so A.J. Brown and Goddard both had 100-yard games, and uh, Goddard actually was targeted more than A.J. Brown in this game. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I want, I would love to see them both be able to have big games together because you would think that if A.J. Brown is eating in a game that would open up Devontae Smith, or you think if Devontae Smith is having a good game that would open things up for A.J. Brown on the other side, and we just haven't seen that yet. Um, so that, that concerns me for Philadelphia's offense, but they're 5-0. and They look great as a team still, and again, with two new coordinators and guys who have never had play-calling duties, at least I know their offensive coordinator hasn't. Um, yeah, again, they're figuring things out, and, and they're winning games, so that's the most important thing. Um, I just want to say, and I know we talked about this in our um, draft podcast and even in our draft reactions uh, we knew the Eagles got a steal with Jalen Carter. Um, and if no one has seen Jalen Carter play and they watched this game for the first time, they now know who Jalen Carter is. Uh, his presence was felt a lot in this game. And um, that guy was just, he's just a football player, man. He makes plays. And I understand the issues surrounding him in college, choice, and that's why he dropped. But I know you wish the Raiders took him. I know teams above the Eagles wish they would have drafted him if they needed um, defensive linemen, and um, just nice to see him him making plays and, and, you know, in the situation that he fell fell into. Um, Bradley Roby randomly got signed by uh, the Eagles, and he was playing defensive back uh, with all the injuries that were happening with them. He had a pretty good game. I just figured I'd shout him out since, uh, you know, wasn't really playing, got signed, and now he's uh, back there in the backfield, so... Shout out to him, but, um, yeah, man, uh, you know, you can't really make Aaron Donald be quiet, and and Aaron Donald had a pretty quiet game uh, in this game, and that's just credit to how good the Eagles' offensive line is, and we talk about all the time, Julius, if you can build in the trenches, your team is normally going to be pretty good, and that's why I think the Eagles, I think the Eagles-San Francisco uh, 49ers-NFC Championship game rematch Kind of looks like that's where we're headed, and I'm excited to watch it. I think these two teams fully healthy playing each other, hopefully, uh, would be – it's going to be entertaining, man. I I can't wait to see that. But uh, the Rams, again, you know, just ran into a juggernaut in this game and couldn't get it done. Uh, They kept it competitive as long as they could. And not scoring in the second half, you're not going to win a lot of games uh, doing that. So, um, you know – Again, I'm excited to see Cooper and Puka play together this season. I hope that they both stay healthy and can keep playing together because I think it's going to be exciting. I think the Rams team, this Rams team, can actually make a little bit more noise than we anticipated uh, with those two playmakers um, playing,
0: Julius. Uh, Yeah, so uh, to one of the points you made, we know earlier this season we saw A.J. Brown pouting on the sidelines during a win about not getting the ball, and all of a sudden, bam, it seemed like every pass went his way, especially at the beginning of the game, the next week. Maybe Dallas Goddard did the same thing. Maybe not in the public eye, but maybe Dallas Goddard behind closed doors said, hey, (laughs) where are my looks? Uh, Because Goddard came out on the first drive. On the first drive alone, Goddard had four catches for 45 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Especially in this era, that's a great game for a tight end. And that was Goddard's first drive of the game. Goddard came into this game with 88 receiving yards on the season in four games. He had 117 yards in this game. So it felt to me that something changed and that Goddard must have said something. Because we know how this offense responds when a player starts complaining about not getting the ball. So... Uh, that was notable to see. And it's, it's good that the Eagles remembered him because Goddard is one of the toughest tight ends to uh, match up against. So uh, why you're not using him in the offense uh, in the passing game, it, that surprised me. But the Eagles remember they had that weapon this week. Uh, as you talked about, this was the debut, season debut for Cooper Cup. Uh, just in case there was any question on whether or not he'd be eased back in, he had five catches for 56 yards. On the first drive for the Rams, so uh, Cup thrown right in the mix right away. And you know when we have these conversations for best wide receiver in the league, and you talk about Tyreek Hill and you talk about Justin Jefferson, maybe uh, Devonte Adams or Jamar Chase and Stephon Diggs, guys like that get thrown into the conversation. Just just don't forget about Cooper Cup. I'm not telling you he is the best. I'm telling you that there's not a case to say he's definitely not the best. So he just, he just needs to be in that conversation and this is where kind of the reverse discrimination comes in to some degree because I feel like if Cooper Cup was black, he'd be in that conversation. Uh, because, but because he's a white guy and he's a white guy who played college at Eastern Washington, he, he doesn't get that type of love. But uh, he needs to be in, in that conversation and there's a reason why Matthew Stafford throws to him a lot when he's out there. But uh, as I told you last week, Just because Cup was coming back, that did not mean Nakua was going to all of a sudden disappear. Because, again, when you enter Matthew Stafford's circle of trust, it's a very limited, private group. But when you get in there, it's a lifetime deal. You don't fall out of it. So Nakua stayed involved in this game. He had an impressive touchdown on James Bradbury uh, to give the Rams the lead with under 40 seconds left in the first half. Nakua hit his head hard on the ground. On the turf. So I I have no idea (laughs) how he wasn't concussed. But I'm glad he wasn't because I enjoy watching him play. Uh, It looked like the Rams would take that 14-10 lead in the halftime. But in 32 seconds, the Eagles put together a 75-yard touchdown drive. Uh, A.J. Brown had a switch catch to spark that drive. A one-handed snag in in traffic. uh, Run after catchability, which we know Brown has. And then you got a horse collar call on Darion Kendrick added to that. I do think the NFL needs to revisit how this horse collar rule is being called, and I'll talk about this again later. The horse collar rule was put into place because of Roy Williams, uh, the former Cowboy safety. Basically, the, the rule is designed to make it so that you don't grab a player's collar and then put all your body weight on his back and basically damage his legs. That's what the rule was designed for. Kendrick got called for grabbing uh brown's collar and slinging him to the ground that's actually one of the safest tackles you can make in the nfl so why that's a penalty just because you grab the collar you're, you're going against the spirit of your own rule there shouldn't have been a penalty i don't like the way it's being enforced and again the nfl needs to revisit that because of all the ways to get tackled that's probably like i said one of the best ways to get tackled without getting hurt uh the eagles did have A pass interference call on Kendrick in the end zone. And Kendrick tends to struggle. It amazes me that he's still a starter in the Rams secondary. Because I just haven't seen anything good from him. But they keep throwing him out there. So he had an interference penalty that got the Eagles to the goal line. The last play of the first half. And the Eagles could have been playing it safe. Kicked the field goal. Went the half down one. But uh, they went for their bread and butter. The good old brotherly shove. And that was the last play of the first half. Of course it worked. Of course they got a touchdown. Of course, they went into half with the lead. And like Patrick said, very minimal scoring in the second half. Any scoring that was done in the second half was done by the Eagles. So uh, that was the difference in the game. I do have to blow the whistle on Raheem Morris. Don't like to do this because I like Raheem Morris. But uh, there was a play in the second half. And I just told you how the game started out for uh, Dallas Goddard. There was a play in the second half where Michael Hoyt, was lined up one-on-one with Dallas Goddard. Again, after he's shown you that he's heavily involved in the passing offense in this game. For those who don't know who Michael Hoyt is, it's a defensive lineman who wears number 97. When you wear number 97, you are telling the coaches, I can't cover anybody. So why he's away from the line of scrimmage, lined up on a move tight end, is beyond me. And the result of that play was a 49-yard catch down the sideline for forgot. So I got to blow the whistle because that's, that's just idiotic for that matchup to ever, ever take place. Raheem Morris, I, I know you know this, but I'm just going to remind you. The guy wears number 97, he can't cover people one-on-one, not in the passing game. Fortunately for the Rams, that drive ended in with a Nikelo Witherspoon interception where he made a fabulous acrobatic play right at the goal line to come down with the interception. So they got bailed out for making that dumb play, but we still have to blow the whistle on that. But, again, nothing to report as far as the offense in the second half of this game. Uh, Just some notes in this game. Uh, For Matthew Stafford, 85% of his passing yards were to uh, to Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. So, like I said last week, even with Cup's return, there's still going to be space for Nakua. But is there going to be space for everybody else? The answer is no. Uh, Atwell did get a short touchdown in this game. That's what he's going to have to rely on because the targets are going to dry up. Tyler Higbee, the targets are going to dry up. Man, Jefferson, yeah, you can't get traded because you're not getting the ball with these two in place anyway. So this is going to be as heavy of a two-man attack as you're going to see anywhere in the league moving forward. And that just, again, that happens when you get in that Matthew Stafford circle of trust. Everybody else ceases to exist. So, again, that's why I'm not, all, I'm not impressed that, oh, Stafford's the, the quarterback when Calvin Johnson had a, a record for yardage in the season, or even when cup had a record for yardage in the season, because that just means that Stafford locks it on one guy. That's not anything new. Now he's locking it on two guys, but the rest of the offense, y'all can forget. it. Uh, Hassan Reddick. He finished his game in style. He had back to back sacks to end the last meaningful possession for the Rams. Uh, Reddick started the season with a cast on his right hand because he had off off season thumb surgery. He played three games with that cast. Had no sacks. In two games since that cast has been removed, three sacks. So welcome back to being yourself, Hassan Reddick. And Patrick, you talked about Jalen Carter. And again, if you, if you go back to last year's podcast episodes, I talked a lot about Javon Hargrave and the impact he had in the middle of this defensive line for the Eagles. You lose him. That's supposed to be a gigantic loss in free agency. How much of a luxury is it to just be able to slide Jalen Carter into that spot and say, go be what Javon Hargrave was last year, and then so? I mean, just, just amazing how things break for good teams. Good teams have good breaks in the draft. Bad teams do dumb things in the draft to create those breaks for the good teams. That's just how it goes. And lastly, Jalen Hurts led both teams with 72 yards rushing. I don't like that. Again, the Eagles have a stable of good to competent running backs. They don't need Hurts to be the leading rusher. And it's not just that Hurts was the leading rusher. If you watch this game, a lot of Hertz's runs came at the end of the game when the Eagles were just trying to kill the clock. That, that's when you should put in over Sean Penny or somebody. Why would you even sign him? Why is Hurts the guy that you want taking extra hits at the end of a game just to bleed the clock? It made zero sense, and I, I just get concerned that the Eagles didn't learn last year when Hurts got hurt towards the end of the season that they're making the same mistake. So just something to keep an eye on. I don't like it at all. I hope the Eagles change it, but in reality, I know they're not. But uh, it was a 5-0, so it's hard to to complain about anything they're doing. They're not going to change their ways. And it is what it is, whether I like it or not. Moving on to the New York Jets who win the rare offensive coordinator revenge game against the Denver Broncos, 31-21. You know, this this sums up Denver's season. Uh, First drive of the game for the Jets, the Denver defense does their job. They get it quick, three and out. Two of the three plays that the Jets ran were negative plays. So you're feeling good about yourself if you're Denver. And then Marvin Mims Jr. fumbles the punt. And you just gift-run a field goal to the Jets to start off the game. It's just fantastic. But, again, when you're a bad team, that's the kind of stuff that happens. You do one thing to take a step forward, then you take two steps back. Uh, Jaleel McLaughlin, a guy I highlighted last week, uh, the NCAA's all-time leading rusher, uh, he, um, on the first drive of the game for Denver, had a 38-yard run and caught a 22-yard screen pass for a touchdown. So a big, explosive plays from McLaughlin right out of the gate. I don't know why he didn't get more carries as this game went on. Samaje P. Ryan was solid in this game, so I don't want to insult him, but McLaughlin showed you another gear that you haven't seen out of this backfield at all this year. So I just don't understand why a team that needs help offensively wouldn't go to a player who looks so promising and explosive more often. They should have fed Jaleel McLaughlin more. They didn't. That was one of my biggest problems with the Broncos in this game. Uh, the Jets... Ended the first half of this game in Jets fashion. They get the ball down the field inside the red zone. But they don't have any timeouts. And for some reason, they throw a, a short pass to C.J. Uzama. So they make sure it's a short pass inbounds to the slowest guy on their team. That makes sense. Predictably, Uzama gets tackled inbounds. And you run out of time and don't even get a field goal off to end the first half. That's Jets football for you. Some would say that's Nathaniel Hackett football for you. Just, just it's just a real stupid way to end the first half. But... First possession of the second half, Brees Hall, 72-yard run. And going back to last year, when you give Brees Hall the ball, good things happen for the Jets. So keep that in mind moving forward. This was the game that Brees Hall finally got treated like a feature back. Brees Hall finally got treated like his knee is okay. He's been asking for this for a while. They finally gave him the chance in this game. And what did he do? He just responded with a career-high 177 yards rush. Keep feeding Brees. You want Zach Wilson to succeed? You want this thing to work? You want this season to be salvaged without Aaron Rodgers? Feed Brees Hall. We talked about Will McDonald, the fourth in the draft, and how the Jets probably didn't want him. It felt like a panic move uh, because, basically, the offensive lineman run ended before the Jets pick got on the board, uh, thanks in part to a Patriots trade in the draft. So, McDonald has done nothing for the Jets all year. But, He did make a play on special teams. He did recover an Xavier Gibson fumble. Uh, Gibson was the hero in week one for the Jets, but he was not good in this game. Had a couple of fumbles on punts. Uh, Will McDonald was able uh, to um, recover one of those fumbles to preserve a possession for the Jets. So it's it's a bit of a stretch, but that's the first time Will McDonald has done something to impact the game for the Jets this year. Just want to give him that little bit of credit. Denver had a five-play stretch. And again, this just speaks to how it's going for the Broncos this year. Even though things look better for the Broncos this year, they had a five-play stretch in the second half where they lost 27 yards. I mean, that's just – it's unfathomable that an NFL team could do that. But if a team is going to do that, you feel like it's going to be the Broncos. And yet, with all this weirdness going on, is again, the second half of this game has a lot of errors in it, Denver – Gets the ball in their own three-yard line thanks to a Patrick Sertan interception, an interception that he basically caught between his legs. Again, just a weird second half, a lot of goofy-looking plays. So with all the mess going on, Denver's still right there. It's 24-21. They've got the ball. They've got a long way to go, but they at least have a chance to tie or win the game. That's when Quincy Williams, and I've been trying to talk about him more because his play deserves it. He came up with a couple of sacks in this game. The second sack led to a fumble that was recovered by Bryce Hall, not to be confused with Brees, and Bryce Hall made a nice play. That ball was clearly on its way out of bounds, and Bryce Hall was able to scoop in stride on the sidelines and run it back for a touchdown to put this game out of reach. That was a great play by him. So uh, that sealed the win for Nathaniel Hackett. The Jets, you could tell that this team was motivated to get that revenge for him. So good luck for them. Bad news for the Jets is they lose Elijah Vera Tucker for the season in this game with an Achilles injury. Again, there's just way too many Achilles injuries going on right now. Elijah Vera Tucker is the best and probably most versatile lineman that the Jets have. So, an already questionable or suspect Jets offensive line just got a lot worse with the absence of Vera Tucker. Uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on because, again, this, this Jets line was a weakness with him. So, without him, uh, things could get bad in a hurry especially going up against the Philadelphia Eagles next week in that defensive front, you lose Elijah Vera Tucker right before you got to face Jalen Carter and those guys. Good luck. As for Denver, if you want some positivity has not been a lot of positivity in Denver at any time recently, but uh, this was Russell Wilson's fourth game this year with multiple passing touchdowns. He only had three games all of last year with multiple passing touchdowns. In addition Wilson also went over 40 yards rushing in this game for the second time this year. He only did that once last year. So you're seeing a more mobile Russell Wilson. You're seeing a Russell Wilson who's throwing the deep ball better. Again, it doesn't look great, but it looks competent at least most of the time. So that's a step up. It's still not a good offense, but it's not a horrendous or laughable offense. And that's a baby step in the right direction for the Broncos. But you're going to need better than competent if you're going to go into Kansas City on a short week and win. So Uh, The Broncos are still in trouble, but there's at least a sliver of good news for them. We disagree. I don't think the Broncos look better than they did
1: last year. I think they look worse. Uh, You can't get 70 hung on you and tell me you look better. You can't
0: lose to the... The the defense looks (laughs) way worse. Let me me be very clear. The Broncos' offense looks better this year. Uh, You can't lose to the Jets and tell me you look better. You can't throw
1: an intentional grounding for a safety and tell me you look better. Um, I think Russell Wilson is. This is the worst he looks. He's looked in his career, and that's saying something because he looked pretty terrible with Nathaniel Hackett last year. Um, yes, he threw for two touchdowns, like you said. Um, and I'm glad he is throwing touchdowns again because it seemed like him in the red zone had uh, had had issues with each other. Um, and yeah, he he is again. I don't know what's going on with all these quarterbacks and 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 getting multiple carries and and, and li- like leading their team in rushing. He Again, I'm with you. Why was McLaughlin not, not used more? Um, there, this was a sloppy game. The ball was on the ground a lot. There was eight technical fumbles. I only know four were lost, but still, there were eight fumbles. Um, it was just a weird – there was the interception by Sertain. It was just a, it was just a weird – there's two bad teams playing each other, and this is what happens in games like this. Um, and you talked about this, Julius, with the Jets. The reason Zach Wilson looked so good, he was eight 0 with Brees Hall as a starter or something. Um I know that didn't happen anymore since Brees Hall technically started the other games, even though he was not fully healthy, I still don't think. Um but they let him loose and they win a game. Um and and Zach Wilson did not have a great game by any means. I mean, I know he was only nineteen for twenty six and some people love completion percentage all of a sudden, but um <laughs> he was under two hundred he was under two hundred yards. It's not like he was doing anything great for the team. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. But the safety was, was bad for Russell Wilson. Um, you know, again, coming out of half, they go three plays, punt, and then Brees Hall has the one play for 72 yards for a touchdown to get the Jets up 15-13. to 13. Um, You talked about it. You know, again, they get the ball right back, negative four yards, punt. The, the Jets go down, and get a field goal. You know, Denver gets the ball back, negative six yards, punt. Uh, they get, oh man. So then they fumble, and then the Jets get another field goal, they punt again with another negative yard. So this is literally, this is how it goes, Julius. Let's just talk about this. So they come out of half, they get four yards and punt. Jets get a touchdown. They get negative four yards and punt, Jets get a field goal, they go negative six yards punt, negative ten yards with a fumble, Jets get a field goal, they go negative two yards with a punt, Jets get another field goal, then finally they put a seven play drive together where Russell Wilson threw a touchdown to Troutman, another Saints, Sean Payton guy. Um... It just, like, you can't go that long in a game getting negative yards. You can't have four possessions with negative yards. It's just... It's awful. And then Denver's defense gives them a chance. The Jets are driving down the field, and you talked about the certain, um interception. And you know... They get it on their own three-yard line, and you're like, oh, no, here we go. Maybe another safety, something like that. And then Russell Wilson makes two nice passes, and they're they're already down to the 25. And you're like, all right, this is great. This is good. We're going to do this. Then, you know, Russ gets in, the, and they come out the two-minute warning. Russ passes a little dump-off pass to Piran, and then he gets sacked. Then he goes to Jerry Judy for 20 yards, and you're like on third and 14, and you're like, holy shit, this is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And then he gets sacked and fumbles, and it's recovered for a touchdown. So, um, just just a bad game for this offense. Um, yeah, Broncos just looking competent on every level, and it's just if it's not the defense giving up seventy points, you know, it's it's the offense just looking laughable. in moments, um, I wasn't a big fan of Sean Payton. Uh, you know, screaming at Russell Wilson coming off off the field after the fumble. Um, you would think that, like, who's calling the plays and who's, who's designing the protections and all that stuff. You know, I just don't see, you know, this team. Like, again, Cortland Sutton only had a, one catch in this game. Um, why is Troutman getting more targets than Cortland Sutton? Why is... P Ryan and, and McLaughlin get more targets than quality it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me Marvin Mims has shown that he's your biggest play threat and I, you talked about the fumbles he had in this game the fumble he had in this game but when he he was leading the team in receiving yards and he's played like 17% of the snaps it's just i don't know i just i don't see anything good with Denver personally um, the jets out the jets like Somehow come away with the win in this game. Um, again, mainly on Brees Hall and the defense's back. Um, but, I don't know, man. It's going to be a long season for both teams. Um, something needs to change in Denver. I know Hackett got fired you know, a few games into the season. You can't fire Sean Payton, and I don't think you're going to trade Russell because you gave up, like, six first-round draft picks and three second-round draft picks and seven hundred million dollars to have both these guys on the team so I don't know if they're just gonna like say F it figure it out but I don't know what you do in Denver Julius I really don't know what you do what if they go one and seven one and eight to start the season like what I just don't know what they do because you gave up so much that they get these two guys into your building and this is the product that you're getting on on the field it's just it's just terrible again Marvin Mims Jr. leads the team in receiving yards and he has 10 receptions on the season like that's that shouldn't happen, and and then and then you're not playing him. So he's your biggest play threat, and he's done good for you while he's been on the field at receiver, and you still don't play him at all. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, again, the Jets defense we knew it was going to be good. They made plays in this game. Uh, you talked about the fumble recovery. It was just like a one-handed snag right when it was about to jump out of bounds. So I mean, it was it was a very impressive play. But um, you know, I'm glad that Hackett got his revenge on an organization that gave up on him. Uh, Clearly, to me, it doesn't look like it's all on him because they still look terrible. So it might just be an organizational thing in Denver and not it wasn't Hackett's fault, apparently, um, is how I'm taking that. Moving on to a game that had pop star uh, potential, but she didn't show, apparently, and everyone was sad about it, and I heard about it 75 times while watching the game. We're talking about the Chiefs going to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Um... Biggest news, obviously Julius. Uh, Ju- uh, <laughs> I will have to call him Julius Jefferson. Justin Jefferson goes down um, and and um, goes on the IR, and he's going to be miss at least four weeks. So what does this mean for Minnesota? They lost this game, 27-20 to the Chiefs. They're one and four, 0-3 at home. They're not winning the close possession games. Kirk Cousins throwing up stats and getting touchdowns, but now Jefferson's out. What does that mean for Minnesota moving forward? That's my biggest takeaway from this game is your you're star receiver's down. Guys didn't get a contract situated before the season. Who knows if what happens now. Do you move on from Kirk Cousins? Do you try to get some assets from him? Are you paying him in the offseason to come back? Um I just don't know i don't I don't see the direction this team wants to go. I know they're you know only a year removed from winning the division and and going to the playoffs, but again, they lost the Giants in the playoffs um, and that looks that both those teams look like trash this year and and your division's getting better. Detroit is not getting worse. they're getting better, right um, You know Green Bay is in growing pains, but they still look better than you, and then Chicago is Chicago. So I can't really say much about Chicago. But Thursday night looks like they're trending in the right direction versus Minnesota. So um, I don't, I just, I just don't know the direction of this team. We, we talked about how bad the Vikings defense has been for years and how they needed to focus on that side of the ball. And we feel like they haven't. We sep- talked about it when they drafted Addison. like We didn't think that made sense. Uh, I know he called a touchdown in this game and he's obviously going to have to step up now that, that Jefferson's hurt. But I just don't see the direction this team's going in Julius. Uh, you know, I'm fine if you want Kirk to stay and get stats and do all that great stuff and 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 that's fine, but y'all y'all you're not winning games. And again, some of it's Kirk, a lot of it's the defense and this offensive line is terrible, but they we talked about it all last year's draft, this year's draft. Who are they going to take on the defense sideball? What are they going to do to to secure their defense? And then they do the exact opposite. So, um just confusing, and I really don't see where Minnesota's going in the, in, with the, with their team. Uh, moving over to Kansas City side, they had a real big scare when Travis Kelsey went down. Um, I don't know what shot they gave him, um, but a lot of people probably want to get their hands on that because I thought it might have been season-ending. A lot of people might have thought it could have been an ACL. They say it was an ankle and he was back out there um, running around and called a touchdown. So I really don't know. You know, if he's going to play tomorrow night, we'll see. Uh, but he finished this game and got a touchdown to, to win the game, got the game-sealing touchdown. Uh, Rasheed Rice got a touchdown this game, which I'm, I'm happy about because that was one of the guys that I said to keep an eye on. I liked him a lot coming out of SMU. I thought he should have been ranked higher in the wide receiver rankings for the draft. Um, again, though, Patrick Mahomes threw this 30, 41 times Julius with 31 completion only had 281 yards. And that just seems like a weird stat line for a Patrick Mahomes team. A lot of shorter passes. Uh, Again, Justin Watson is his deep target threat, which is just weird. Um, You know, I just, it's just just a different kind of offense. You know, it's not the Kansas City offense we're used to seeing. If Travis Kelsey goes down, I don't like this team moving forward. So that injury is definitely a concern for me. Um, Luckily for Kansas City, once again, they're. Division doesn't look great, so uh, they might run away with that again. Um, <clears throat> but I will say, um, we talked about it, and we—I I said that I like the way in the this defense was trending. And I said I thought Trent McDuffie was going to have a big year, and he has been having a big year. Um, but Jerry Sneed is stepping up. Uh, I really like. This defense, and, and, and with Chris Jones back, again, that just makes this defense more complete. Um, but we talked about, I talked about a lot last year, how their secondary was young last year, and I didn't trust it, and it really showed up near the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, they were kind of getting exposed. At the end of the year, they looked better, and then that's what I talked about in the preseason podcast is how I really liked this defense of Kansas City, um, and they're really stepping up, Julius, in a big way and helping win some of these games when the offense isn't moving as freely as we're used to. Um, I like that Patrick Mahomes wasn't running as much in this game. Uh, we've seen him scrambling a lot in the last few games. He didn't have a technical, technically didn't have a single carry in this game, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I am concerned about this passing game. And I'm going to be interested to see if they try to make any moves um, before the trade deadline. And I'm not thinking they're going to make a splash move, but just to see if they try to bring anybody in um, to help shore up that receiving core, because the offense isn't as explosive as we're used to seeing Julius, and and that even without Tyreek last year, the offense still looked more explosive and had bigger plays. Um, you know, I know they've drafted a lot of guys. They have Rice, they have Sky Moore. Uh, they brought in Tony. Um, again, it just it just doesn't look as effortless and as fluid as we're used to
0: seeing out of a Chiefs team. It does kind of look like a vintage Andy Reid team in a way. I mean, you remember those Andy Reid teams that would have success with the likes of a James Thrash or a Todd Pinkston or a Freddie Mitchell at the wide receiver position. This is kind of feels like you're trying to do the same thing again, like have these uh, bargain bin receivers and then somehow, some way, find a way to put everything on the quarterback and make it work. Um, getting to your point about the Vikings and the direction they're headed in, Potentially, I say stay the course. Why do I say that? Go back to what I said during our draft analysis. Go back to what I said about the Vikings in our preseason predictions. This Minnesota Vikings team made it clear. Because all the issues you talked about, Patrick, we knew and they knew they had those issues with the roster. And what did they do in the draft? Go get Jordan Addison. With all those other holes, you got another receiver. So that let me know you care more about having Kirk Cousins' stats than winning. Now, why that's the case, I can't understand for the life of me. But the Vikings have already proven what their priority is. So Kirk Cousins is getting his stats. Kirk Cousins is having the most passing yards. Kirk Cousins is having the most passing touchdowns. And you're losing every week. That is what you set this lineup to do. So this team is living up to what you built it to be. So why change course? And on the flip side, again, if you're another team, why would you trade for Kirk Cousins? He hasn't proven he can go anywhere with good rosters. So if you have a good roster, what makes you think Cousins is going to elevate you? You would make a move to go get a quarterback if you think you can go to the Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins is not going to take you there. So there's no reason for a team to trade for him And there's no reason for the Vikings to trade him. So I say ride this thing out. Let Kirk Cousins throw for 6,000 yards and win three games. That's what you built this team to do. So getting into this game, again, again, the, the theme of this year, along with Kirk Cousins just getting his stats, empty calories, has been the Vikings turning the ball over. So, of course, on the first play from scrimmage, Josh Oliver fumbles. It's the eighth lost fumble of the season for the Vikings, leading the NFL. So, again, this is what you built the team to do. Uh, credit to Justin Reed. He forced a fumble. Um, again, playmaking safety. Most important vision in football. Right out of the gate, giving your team a starting uh, position, uh, for your first possession on a short field, an opportunity to score. And the Chiefs took advantage. They got an Isaiah Pacheco touchdown run. But to your point, Patrick, they got a short field. It still took the Chiefs nine plays just to get 45 yards. So that's not the Chiefs offense we're used to seeing. Again, even compared to last year, it's not the Chiefs offense we're used to saying seeing. It has to be methodical. It has to be slow. It has to be three, four, five, six yards at a time because you don't have a bunch of dynamic players. Pacheco is proving to be a dynamic player, but in the passing game, uh, you're really lacking there. The Vikings needed a uh spark from their special teams after scoring a couple of field goals. So they were able to get that on a fake punt. That was one of their more impressive offensive plays of the first half. That uh, converted a fourth down and led to a Jordan Addison touchdown. So, again, the guy you drafted, uh, he's doing his part. He is tied for the team lead in touchdown catches with Justin Jefferson. So you're getting everything you wanted out of Addison. You're getting everything you wanted out of this team. You're just not winning. Uh, He talked about the Kelsey injury scare. He came back, and on the last Chiefs scoring drive, which happened in the third quarter, the Chiefs didn't score in the fourth. Uh, But in the third quarter, Kelsey made a couple of key plays. Mainly, he ran an impromptu slant while Mahomes was scrambling around. That converted a third down, and that's one of those plays where you just have to be playing with each other for a long time for that play to work. Uh, For Mahomes to run around and scramble and for Kelsey to know, I need to run a slant here, even though that wasn't the play that was called. And for Mahomes to know, my man Kelsey's going to run a slant, and he's going to be there where I need him to be. I mean, that's just two guys basically operating with a symbiotic mind. That's chemistry in its finest form on a play that you can't call in the huddle. And then, of course, Travis Kelsey, for whatever reason, is left wide open. He found a soft spot in the defense uh, for a touchdown. And, of course, when Kansas City's near the goal line, you should just ignore Travis Kelsey. Uh, Great job Vikings there. Uh, Ridiculous. Alexander Madison. He did catch a touchdown in this game, so I don't want to bash him completely. But boy, if you watch this game, he dropped a perfectly timed screen pass that could have tied the game. I mean, I'm talking about it. It would have been about a 20, 22-yard touchdown, but there was nothing but other Vikings and maybe one Chief in front of him on the entire left side of the field. We've seen Madison drop key Easy passes, and that trend continued. Uh, Just just the unfortunate thing, but again, the Vikings, this is what bad teams do, find a way to blow golden opportunities, and they did there. I am going to blow the whistle on Andy Reid. Last play of this game was was a Hail Mary that never got off thanks to a Mike Dana sack. Why was Travis Kelsey in the game? You talked about his injury scare, Patrick. You don't need extras that on defense for Travis Kelsey. You have, you, you like the defense, Patrick. We, we talked about how we like these young defensive backs. Why do you need Travis Kelsey back there to defend the Hell Mary? It, it's just ridiculous on a bad ankle. If you just need somebody tall back there, you got other tight ends. So just a dumb play. It ended up not mattering because, again, the play resulted in a sack, but I just thought that was a very dumb decision by Andy Reid. Uh,. K.J. Osborne, again, in the absence of Justin Jefferson, he had season highs with five catches for 49 yards. It'll be interesting to see how his role grows or re-expands. Again, Osborne had some nice moments last year, and I've talked about how I want to see him in an expanded role. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, that happens moving forward, just how much more Osborne can be featured with Jefferson out of the way for a while. Now, lastly, about this game, I want to address – a silly, silly narrative out there uh, because there's a lot of people sharing footage of, oh my gosh, look at all the penalties the Chiefs got away with on the last play of the game, the last play that in some people's minds mattered. Let me explain a few things to y'all. Again, like Patrick said, that's why we have this show. We are here to give you the reality, not the fiction and the fantasy that some people are living in. Reality is this. One, people running a r- a roughly the passer call on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins got his arm hit on the play. That's roughing the passer if you're playing flag football. It's never been roughing the passer in the NFL. So stop crying about that. Ball may or may not have been pass interference. The ball wasn't that close to the receiver, so you could make a strong case that it wasn't catchable. Again, you're talking to a Raiders fan. You're talking to a guy who watched the Chargers end a game against the Raiders by having Josh Palmer push off on Jacorian Bennett uh, for a catch to end the game. Nobody complained and said the Chargers get all the calls. They just said that's how it goes. So I don't want to hear anybody crying about a passing the called call non-call at the end of the game, because you're not doing it when it happens for other teams. Thirdly, people had an issue with Lajarius Sneed being told by the referees to put his helmet back on after the play. Let me be very clear about this. Learn the rules. If they did call that penalty on Sneed for taking his helmet off, Sneed took his helmet off after a fourth down play finished, which means... Kansas City would have retained possession if they called the penalty. If you don't believe me, go watch the end of the Ravens-Steelers game. T.J. Watt took off his helmet after a sack on fourth down. They called it on T.J. Watt, and the Steelers kept the ball because that's what happens in a dead ball situation. Learn the rules before you start crying. And lastly, in this game, the Chiefs were called for ten penalties. The Vikings were called for four. Explain to me how that happens if the refs want the Chiefs to win. So again... Reality versus fiction. Get on the side of reality. Oh, by the way, who leads the league in penalties as far as the most penalized individual player in football? It's Jawan Taylor, who plays for the Chiefs. Stop crying. Stop crying. I know you're sad because the Chiefs have been good for five years. You loved it when the Patriots were good for 20, and they were caught cheating. But you're mad because the Chiefs are good for five. Weird. Stop crying. Now, some people who should be crying, Cowboys fans, you watched your Cowboys go into Santa Clara and get beat 42-10 by the San Francisco 49ers. George Kittle, again, you all know, I consider him the best tight end in football. Uh, the Cowboys didn't get the memo. Kittle was wide open on the first position of the game for a touchdown, and that was a theme for the night. He had three <laughs> wide open touchdowns uh, and the Cowboys never caught on to the fact that, you no know, George Kittle is actually a pretty good player. Uh, then on the other side of the ball, Nick Bosa closes out uh, the first Cowboys drive of the game with a sack. So on both sides of the ball, you see the 49ers kind of asserting their dominance early. Meanwhile, on the Dallas side, I'm not sure what their plan was on either side of the ball. I saw a lot of Micah Parsons. Now, Micah Parsons, part of the reason I picked him to be Defensive Player of the Year is because of his versatility, because you can move him around to literally four different spots on the front seven and create matchups in your favor. For some reason, the Cowboys decided to take Parsons' versatility and match him up against Trent Williams. So you you put him in the one situation where he was going to fail. And the first time Parsons lined up against Trent Williams, Parsons went offside. Like, he knew... He needed an unfair advantage because that was the only way he was going to be able to deal with Trent Williams. I just don't know why the Cowboys wasted Parsons on that side of the field, but they did. Uh, credit to Fred Warner. He had a big game in this game. Uh, he set up a scoring opportunity with a vicious punch out on Tony Pollard. I don't know how that ball stayed in bounds along the sideline, but it did. 49ers recover. At that, penalty, that That penalty. That turnover didn't hurt the Cowboys as uh, Christian McCaffrey landed on Jordan Lewis and lost a fumble. That was kind of a fluke play, Uh, but the Cowboys would take it. But uh, as this game went on, you know, the Cowboys kind of hung in for a little bit, Uh, but then this game just completely fell apart. I mean, the Cowboys, they were down 14-0. Dak Prescott hits a very nice throw uh, to Gavante Turpin for a touchdown. I would like to see Turpin be more involved in the offense. There's no chance for that in the near future because Turpin got injured in this game. But it would be nice to see Turpin get a little more involved. Kinda it's of kinda of like how the Saints involve Rashid Shahid. They kind of get a big play out of him on offense every game. I feel like the Cowboys could do that with Turpin, but don't. And again, now he's injured, so you can't. But uh, this game got out of out of hand pretty quickly. Again, uh, with Kittle and Ayuk leading the way. Uh, in the absence of McCaffrey, kind of had a, a routine game for him, an average game for his standards, but you didn't need it. Uh, but this game was 28-10 before Dak Prescott even threw his first interception. So that's just how quickly it got out of hand. Now, to get to Dak Prescott, again, three interceptions in this game all after the 49ers had built a 28-10 lead. So it's not that his interceptions led to the loss, but here's what Prescott needs to understand. And this, here's where I have an issue with him. First of all, it got so bad in this game, the 49ers pulled their starters. For some reason, the Cowboys kept theirs in. Don't know why. Guys were coming off the bench. Oren Burks came off the bench to get an interception on Dak Prescott because he's like, hey, if you're going to throw him, I'll take one. Here's why I have an issue with Dak Prescott. All this talking. All this talking. Dak Prescott's the one who came out in the offseason and said, I won't throw it 10 interceptions this year. Now, other quarterbacks can get away with saying that because they're more popular. That Prescott has to stop being so tone deaf and understand how unpopular he is. When you're an unpopular quarterback and you make a declaration like, I'm not going to throw 10 interceptions, everybody's got their interception counter going. And that interception counter didn't do much the first four games of the season. But then you throw three in this one, and now everybody's talking about how many interceptions you're on pace for throwing. So while the interceptions didn't affect this game, those interceptions now have hurt you as far as holding up to your own standard. You can't throw three interceptions, even in a meaningless game. And you watch these interceptions, they're, they're careless throws. They're not misreads or fluke plays. They're just throwing the ball right at guys, like you don't care because, you know, the game's over. The game might be over, but your stat's still supposed to matter because you told us they do. The other issue I have with Prescott is even our last week, he's sitting there in the press conference talking about, oh, you want to piss me off? You want to piss me off? Thanks, thanks. I needed to be pissed off. Dak Prescott needs to understand nobody fears a pissed-off Dak Prescott. The 49ers prefer a pissed-off Dak Prescott, and you saw why in this game. So that's be quiet, and if you want to reestablish yourself as a top 10 or so quarterback, which you're not right now, you got to play way better than this. Regardless of what's going on around you, you got to play better than this. You can't just give the other team the ball just because the game's getting out of hand. As for Brock Purdy, the complete opposite for him. Uh, Purdy just does what he does. Again, the job of the quarterback is not to elevate teammates, make them better. It's impossible to do those things. job of the quarterback is to maximize what's around you, make the easy plays, and occasionally make an above-average play. That is Brock Purdy to a team. All game long he was throwing the wide-open receivers. Easy money, but Brock Purdy went and took that easy money. That's what you're supposed to do. Purdy did have one throw in this game that was a masterpiece. He hit uh, Brandon Ayuk on a deep cross. Leighton Vanderesh was in pretty good position underneath to make a play. But uh, Purdy placed it right over Vanderesh. I mean, that ball was six inches shorter or six inches lower. It probably gets intercepted. Purdy makes the perfect throw on that one, keeps the drive going. And again, just does his job to a T. Now, I will say this note about Brock Purdy he's now won 10 starts in a row. That's the third longest winning streak by a first- or second-year quarterback since 2016. You know which two quarterbacks had 11-game winning streaks in their first and second years? Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson. And it's just funny because everybody loves Brock Purdy for winning these 10 games. I remember when Dak Prescott won 11 in a row. I remember when Lamar Jackson won 11 in a row as young quarterbacks. And everybody said, we need to wait till the league catches up to him. Wait till there's more film. Wait for this. Wait for that. And yet Purdy, after 10 starts, is already being crowned as the greatest. And people are comparing him to Joe Montana and Tom Brady and all this other stuff. It's just amazing how, how differently things work when you look different. But uh, good for Brock, Brock Purdy that he's having this success in his uh, NFL, his debut as an NFL starter going into a season. So good on him. I asked for the Cowboys. A lot of injuries in this game. I talked about Dave Turpin being out. I have a problem with some of the injuries. Now, some of the injuries you couldn't do much about. Uh, C.J. Goodwin, who's a special team's ace, you lost him with an injury. Deron Bland got hurt at some point in this game. Jordan Lewis got hurt at some point in this game. That meant uh, Noah Igbenajani had to play, and Purdy immediately picked on Igbenajani as he should have. So, again, that's just more smart play from Purdy. But uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who has a history with neck injuries and suffered a neck injury in this game after hitting his head against Michael Parsons' body, He gets injured when the score is 35 to 10. Donovan Wilson, one of your starting safeties, gets hurt in this game with under four and a half minutes left. Why are these guys in? Why are these guys in? At some point, you have to throw in the towel and say, live to fight another day. Seeing Cowboys players, key Cowboys players on defense, get hurt when the game is way out of hand is something I'm putting squarely on Mike McCarthy Because that's just dumb. You're going to lose this game. Don't lose your season trying to fight for pride or or have some more victory in a 42-10 to game. Get your guys out of it. So that's my message to the Cowboys. They're going to face the Chargers on Monday night coming off a bye with Austin Eckler coming back healthy. I, I got to side with the Chargers until I see the Cowboys do something against a team that doesn't have new in their name. As for the 49ers, they're also facing a team coming off a bye next week in Cleveland. We still don't know what the situation is with Deshaun Watson. We see the Browns making moves at the quarterback position. Uh the 49ers, all I can say is this train's gonna keep rolling. I don't I don't know when this thing's gonna stop. Yeah, I I mean
1: there's not much to talk about this game. It was complete domination from start to finish. And I'm with you. Mike McCarthy has literally lived off of his one Super Bowl that Aaron Rodgers got him. To for people to think that he's a good coach. I their red zone issues have been awful. Uh and documented. Um, His clock management, his play calling, his, you talked about him leaving these guys, his starters out even whenever it was a blowout and there was nothing else they could do. Um, It just doesn't make sense. And then you talked about the rare offensive coordinator uh, revenge game with with Hackett and Denver. The Monday night game is going to be a revenge game for Kellen Moore. So we have another one. Back to back weeks. Yes. Yes. Um, But, there's a play that I liked uh, from Brock Purdy in this game. You already talked about almost all of them, so I'm just going to get into it. Uh, it was right after halftime The Dallas Cowboys went down and kicked a field goal. Um, so, made it 21-10. So, San Francisco starts their drive off. Um, there was a false start, and Brock Purdy's like, first and 15, don't care. 23 yards to IU, right? So, then they run McCaffrey twice, and it's a third and three. Purdy hits Ayuk again for a first down for 40 yards, but there was a holding call. So now it's third and 13. Purdy goes, okay, I just threw it for 40 yards to Ayuk. You guys got me got my guy on a holding. I'm gonna go 42 yards to Debo now for a first down. Um, and so that was just kind of, as you said, Brock Purdy's night in a nutshell. Where, okay, I just did this to y'all on third and three. Yo, third and thirteen, no problem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna find the open guy because, yes, Debo had burnt Stephon Gilmore and was wide open. Um, and so, I also like that San Francisco was trying to get all their guys involved and get touchdowns. So you know, that's always fun. You got Kyle Uchuck got a touchdown. Uh, Jordan Mason got a touchdown. Um, so, you know, always fun. Sam Donald got in the game and completed a pass, one for one. Beast completion percentage is 100% this year, so he's the best quarterback in the league. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know why Dallas kept their stars in for so long. I think this game, for a lot of people who are riding the Cowboys saying that they're such a great team, I think this was an eye-opening game for them. Um, again, they lost to the Cardinals, so how good of a team is this really? I was like, oh, that's just a blip on the radar, and they got completely blown out by a good team, so or a great team. So, um, how good are the Cowboys? I guess we don't really know, right? Are they a middle-of-the-road team? Are they a good team that just got beat by a great team? Or are they a bad team? I mean, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, you know, this defense will feast on bad offensive lines, as we've seen, uh, but then... They didn't really pressure Brock Purdy and that much this game. Brock Purdy did whatever he wanted to do. Um, so again, I don't know where this team ranks. Uh, you know, if you ask me to do it, I, top fifteen maybe. I just I don't know. You know. Um, but yeah, IU just catches first downs and just makes big plays. Um, my hate for the Cowboys has intensified even more after this game because. They single-handedly cost me my fantasy week, Julius. Um, I had DJ Moore. I had DJ Moore, and I still lost because Dallas let San Francisco's defense get 18 points, and they let George Kittle catch three touchdowns. You couldn't stop him on one of those? Come on. Jesus Christ. So that's where we're at, and um, and so nothing good to say about the Cowboys besides you let my my kicker kick a 50-yarder, so I appreciate you on that. But other than that, nothing good on the Cowboys. Then they were completely dominated. Cooper Rush got in the game. They they let Deuce Vaughn get three carries. It's just not a good night um, for them on any aspect of the of the game. Um, again, Jordan Mason had 10 carries and got 69 yards on this team. So. We know the run run defense is not a, is the weakest point for Dallas's defense. Uh, Micah Parsons did absolutely nothing in this game. They they, you know, I wonder if other teams, though, moving forward, if they will try and do the same thing the 49ers did. So I don't know if anyone notices during the game, but the 49ers almost all their run plays went to wherever Micah Parsons was lined up, and they just ran it right at him, and I. And again, Michael Parsons isn't bad in run in run defense, but he is a smaller-sized defensive lineman slash edge rusher. And, um, and they were just being physical with him to probably tire his legs out and make him less effective on the pass rush, and it seemed to work. So I am interested, Joyce, to see moving forward um, if other teams try to implement that strategy if they can, right? Um, Chargers have a pretty good offensive line and with Eckler back they should run more Um, and I'm interested to see if they kind of utilize that same strategy because it really seemed to work for San Francisco um, in this game and then Monday night was Green Bay at Las Vegas and Joyce, this is your team so I will let you uh, lead off especially after a W yes
0: yes Hey, it's been a month. It's been a month since I've been able to talk about a win, so let's let's get into it. Monday Night Football, the Las Vegas Raiders with a 17-13 win over the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, again, I'm excited to talk about a win for the Raiders, but at the same time, this game was as ugly as it gets, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. So excited, yes. Encouraged, nah, nah. Um... One thing I was slightly encouraged about is that the first pass of the game for the Raiders went to Michael Mayer. And again, I've talked about how the Raiders' rookie class so far has done nothing. (laughs) And for a team that keeps picking at the top of the draft, you would think at some point you'd bring in a rookie class that could do something. But uh, Michael Mayer, again, picked at the same part of the draft where the Lions got Sam LaPorta. And LaPorta is transforming the Lions' offense. Meanwhile, Michael Mayer has been on a milk cart, if anybody uses those anymore. So seeing Mayer get three targets in this game may not seem like that big of a deal, but he didn't have three targets in the first four games of the season combined. So, again, if you're going to draft a guy that high, and especially on a team that's not overloaded with weapons, maybe use them. As far as Green Bay, again, this is a weekly theme. Slow starts for this offense, slow starts for Jordan Love in particular. Uh, Once again, Jay just don't do anything in the first half. Uh, Jordan Love in this first half had 56 passing yards, and it's not like he wasn't throwing the ball a lot. He only averaged 4.7 yards per pass. So that's a lot of throws for nothing. And, oh, by the way, he had an interception that he just threw straight to Robert Blaine. It was the most accurate pass that's been thrown to a Raider all season. Green Bay. This is the third straight game now. Where they've gone into halftime. With three points or fewer. It is hard to win games in the NFL. And again they were able to come back and win one. Because they faced the Saints offense. That was as inept as theirs was. But. It's hard to consistently win in the NFL. When you're going into every halftime. With zero or three points. Now, on the Raiders' side of the ball, back to them. Just not getting the job done. Again, I talked about Robert Spillane getting an interception. You need to score a touchdown on that. The Raiders don't move the ball. They have to settle for a field goal. And Daniel Carlson gets his kick blocked by an offensive lineman. Seriously, I mean, Josh Nyman with the block. But, I mean, when's the last time you heard of an offensive lineman blocking a kick? I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens to the Raiders. That's the kind of thing that happens to bad teams. Uh, It's it's just laughable at times. So, you know, you go into the second half. uh, Green Bay needs a spark. And who provides it? Jimmy Garoppolo does. He throws an interception. That's that's another silly pass that goes right to Rudy Ford. Rudy Ford makes the play. Most important vision in football, playmaking safety. Ford able to give his team a bit of a spark. That interception led to an Algiers Dylan touchdown run, and they just they just rode Dylan on that drive. Just said, you know what? If Jordan Love can't throw in this game, we'll just run Dylan. And of course, you don't have Aaron Jones in the backfield, so you have to rely on Dylan more than you wanted. But for one drive, that worked out for Green Bay. Uh, the Raiders were able to make a big defensive stand, and what to me was the biggest play and sequence of the game. Uh, Christian Watson on a completely blown coverage he's wide open down the field he makes the catch and run Marcus Peters catches him I didn't think anybody was going to catch Watson and brings him down again a horse collar is called on a play where Peters grabs the collar and slings Watson down it's not a horse collar if you're going by the spirit of the rule change how this call is being enforced the way Watson was tackled is a way that is going to be safe for players to go down and apparently the league wants to see guys get dragged down by getting hit in the knees and getting hit in the head or whatever because you're calling this. And again, I'm sorry, grabbing a player in his collar and slinging him to the ground without you going to the ground yourself is about as safe of a way to tackle somebody as there is. And if you make the same exact play, they suddenly you grab somebody's hair. It's totally illegal. So it just I just want that rule to be changed to really go back to outlawing that Roy Williams-style style tackle and not these tackles that aren't dangerous at all. But anyway, that penalty was called. Green Bay has a first and goal. They look like they're going to go in and get a touchdown. And the Raiders' defense stands up. So big deal for them. Yeah, able to get out of there. Uh, Robert Spillane comes through later in the game and gets another interception. This was a play that was made by Marcus Peters, but... Uh, Robert Spillane, Johnny on the spot, getting these interceptions, so that was good to see. And, of course, uh, the play that kind of stands out at the end, you have Jordan Love rolling out to his left. You have uh, LaFleur literally signaling downfield to throw the ball to Christian Watson. Uh, Meek Robertson, who was beaten on the play, was able to get back into the play, turn around and (laughs) get way up in the air uh, for an interception to help close the game out. There's a huge play by uh, the small ameek Robertson, but uh, the undersized corner came up big on that one. I did think that there was, and again, this was this was a brothers matchup. You had Daniel Carlson, you had Anders Carlson. Those are the kickers for the Raiders and Packers, respectively. It almost felt like, one, you know, the, the broadcast, they kept hyping it up and they kept showing the parents and family, and, and that's okay. I would do it too. But it seemed like Josh McDaniels was calling plays or calling situations according to that. You had situations where the Raiders probably should have. We talk about a lot of teams not, a lot of teams going for fourth and one when they shouldn't. It felt like in this game, the Raiders were going out of their way to try to set up Carlson's field goals, and that resulted in two misses, including that one that got blocked by an offensive lineman from 50-plus yards away. Now, that's normally a distance that Carlson is good at. Carlson was 11 for 13 on field goals from 50-plus Last year, so we're talking about 81-82% from that range last year. This year, a couple of really bad misses, and they kept showing the family every time Daniel Carlson missed. But I just felt like Josh McDaniels was kind of playing up to that instead of just calling the game the way he should. But unfortunately, despite McDaniels coaching, despite Garoppolo still being loose with the football— Despite the fact that the run game still isn't where it needs to be for the Raiders, the Raiders still come out with a win. Again, there's not much to be encouraged about this game, except you can say the defense actually stepped up and made plays. A rare game where the Raiders' defense gets multiple takeaways. But overall, still not a great game. And you're still going to have to find a way to turn over better offenses than Jordan Love and the Packers. Uh, you get the Patriots coming in town, so that's... An opportunity to create some more turnovers as well. Again, Patriots, please keep that same energy from Sunday on offense. We, we could use some of that not scoring at all. Bring that to Las Vegas, please. Uh, as for the Packers, it's a perfect time for a buy. Like I said, Aaron Jones is banged up. Christian Watson is still being ramped up. So this is a good time for them to go to the buy. I still look at this team and I look at the wide receiver position and I see Romeo Dobbs, I see Christian Watson, I see Jalen Reed. I see uh, Samori Torre. I don't you know, I see Luke Musgrave as a tight end, a receiving tight end. I don't see experience. Just a bunch of young guys with nobody knowing what to do or how to do it. They are all kind of trying to figure it out at the same time. I just wish this team would have gone out and got like an Adam Thielen type of receiver to help love in this offense out. It looks bad now. It's going to continue to look bad, in my opinion. But again, to me, that lack of experience anywhere in the passing game is really starting to show, especially when you've got a shorthanded offensive line uh, to make matters even worse for this team. <clears throat> yeah,
1: Green Bay. Um, again, A.J. Dillon, every time he gets a chance to be the lead back just never impresses me. Um, he got. I know he got a touchdown in this game, and it was a good run. It was a hard run, but, I mean, 20 carries, 76 yards, just, you know, 11 yards is your longest carry. I just... I, don't, I always expect more out of them, Julius, and I just feel like, especially with a young quarterback back there, and with the offensive line that can't pass protect that well, you are You need to lean on your running game, and it, it's just not happening for them, especially with Aaron Jones out. Um, yeah. The passing game was pretty much non-existent in this game, which is wild, since you guys had two corners uh, not play, and Ja'Corian Bennett and Nate Hobbs, um, so just confusing, Um Dobbs was pretty much non-existent in this game. Uh, Christian Watson was as well, besides his 77-yard catch and run. Um, but besides that, pretty much non-existent. Uh, the guy who had the most catches uh, and the most targets was Luke Musgrave. But again, only six catches for 34 yards. So just the passing game was non-existent for the Packers in this one. Um you know, Quay Walker got hurt in this game. I've been talking about him most weeks because he's been having almost 20 tackles a game. Uh, and my guy, Darnell Savage, also went out hurt in this game. Uh, he's a turp and he plays the most important position in football. Um, but, so like you said, bye week for the Packers, coming at a perfect time. Get Love to hopefully reset. Maybe maybe the offensive coordinator and the coaches work with him. Try to get him reset after two pretty bad games. Um, try to get some of this defense healthy because Jair Alexander came back in this game and that guy just needs to keep his mouth shut. Um, comes back and he goes, looks like we can't give up any points. Well, that's not true because Green Bay scored 13. So if you guys only gave up 12, you would have won the game. So can't say you can't give up any points. Um, and yes, that is your job as a defense to try to not give up points. So you're just saying the obvious there, Jair Alexander. Um, Yeah, but Green Bay's defense is what I thought was going to lead this team. Uh, And again, they only gave up 17 points, and you should win games like that. But when the offense just doesn't have it, they just don't have it. And Jordan Love just looked like a rookie quarterback back there. Um, I know he's not. I'm just saying he looked like one in this game. Just probably his worst game of the season. Um, Garoppolo was back. (laughs) Looked like normal Garoppolo, nothing excited me about his gameplay, but when he's playing, he does look for Jacoby Myers, so I know you're excited about that, uh, since he's an NC State guy. I mean, Myers had 10 targets, and Devontae Adams only had four, so um, Josh Jacobs got more targets than Devontae Adams, which I don't know why, I get it, Josh Jacobs can catch it out of the backfield, and I'm fine with it, I just don't know why he gets so many targets a game, I don't know if that's just Josh McDaniel's offense. Because, I mean, if you remember with the Patriots, uh, they, they had those guys coming out of the backfield and, um, what's his name, in the Atlanta Super Bowl had like 11 catches um, in that game and pretty much led them back to that W. Um, James White. James White, yeah. So I don't know if that's just part of the offense that McDaniels likes, but just Jacobs, I feel like, has been a lot of targets in the receiving game this year. Um, he did get a rushing touchdown, so that's good. But again, their, the Raiders' offensive line and running game looked also kind of non-existent in this game. You know, 20 carries, 69 yards. Um, again, just not great. But the fact that they didn't give up on the run, I'm excited about for for the Raiders and Josh Jacobs. Um, and Joyce talked about it. Uh, much maligned defense, and he, and he talks about them constantly, uh, stepped up in this game, and uh, definitely is the reason why they, they won this game uh, because the Packers had multiple chances. Like you said, Watson probably should have had a touchdown on that 77-yard catch, didn't, and then y'all held them uh, on from the 3-yard line, 6-yard line, wherever he got tackled, um, and held them to kick a field goal. So uh, three interceptions um, is huge and, and just a really, really good win uh, for the Raiders. And again, the Packers... On a bye week, you guys got the Patriots coming in. Mac Jones has looked terrible. They said they're sticking with him, so uh, that will be an interesting game because normally when Belichick plays his old assistants, he normally whoops up on them, so it will be interesting to see kind of how that game plays out. Moving along to what's happening in the sports world, Julius, obviously, Major League Baseball playoffs is in full swing. Ha, ha, ha. Pun intended. Um... (laughs) And we've had a couple sweeps, and we got some series that are closed out. There's only one series that actually we don't know what's going to happen with yet this week, and that's uh, the Braves and the Phillies. Um, Astros closed out the Twins tonight to win their Series 3-1. It's their seventh ALCS in a row, which is insane. Um, Diamondbacks, your Diamondbacks, swept the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, close that out tonight at home, so that's a great feeling for Arizona. Um, a lot of people didn't see that coming. Um, I felt they had a chance. I didn't pick it. I picked the Dodgers, uh, but we know how the Dodgers are in the playoffs. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, Julius, the new playoff format for MLB where these teams get a bye, essentially, and kind of have to wait because now the wild card is an actual like, it's not just one game, um, seems to have hurt a lot of these teams because the Braves looked flat, the Dodgers obviously looked flat, the Orioles looked flat, um, and and these other teams look like they benefited from playing in a best-of-three series, um, and these other teams had to wait. Um, even the Astros lost the game to the Twins, <coughs> and the Twins played them tough every game, so... Um, just a, just a weird way to see these teams that, you know, we have three teams that won 100 games, um, and Phillies up on the Braves, who were the best team in baseball throughout the entire year, uh, 2-1, the Dimebacks just swept the Dodgers, and, and the Rangers swept the Orioles, so, um, just kind of a weird situation, and I don't know if it is because of the format, uh, again, in baseball you play so many games throughout the entire season, um, to have you know, like a week off because they have a wild card, you know, situation for 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 the round. It's just interesting to kind of see how that played out this year. Um, but we'll see what happens in the Braves-Philly series. It's a really good series. I, I like that some of these guys were in the same division when they met. We're going to get that in the ALCS with the Astros and the Rangers, and they're in the same state, uh, so that should make it even more uh, exciting. Um, <coughs> but you get the familiarity, and you get. These matchups that um, just you know, no one would have, not a lot of people probably would have picked the Dodgers to to get swept, let alone lose, and to, and to watch to watch it happen to the Diamondbacks has to feel good for Arizona. Um, and I and whenever we were talking about the MLB and coming into the playoffs, I said I wanted to see Arizona make it, and some of these younger teams because they're exciting to watch and they have a lot of great talent and. You just kind of feel like with L.A., they were on the back end of this like dynasty that they've been in. And again, I understand they had 100 wins this season, but I just never felt comfortable with their pitching. Uh, the, obviously, their starting pitching was terrible. It's one of the worst performances I've ever seen in the playoffs from starting pitching. No one went more than two innings, which is just absurd uh, out of starting pitching. And um, that was the biggest difference uh, in this series. Uh, moving on to the Astros and Twins, like I said, Astros move on to their 7th ALCS. Um, great for Dusty Baker, happy for him. Um, I'm ready to see someone else beat them. I don't want to see them in the World Series again, so I'm rooting for the Rangers personally. Um, also, I think it'd be kind of cool to see like Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager leave these teams that they were a part of that were making the playoffs and things like that, especially after Seager got hurt. With the Dodgers, and they kind of just gave up on him for Gavin Lux. Um, it'd kind of be nice to see him make it and kind of, you know, make it to a World Series and then show that he can do it without that team. Kind of like how I was rooting for Bryce Harper last year because um, the Nats wouldn't pay him, and and then they won a World Series. So I was kind of rooting for him to get one, uh, since you know the narrative in Washington was that he was a dick and he was all about himself, and and you're kind of getting the feeling that. Now, after watching what happened with Soto and Trey Turner and Rendon, even though the Rendon call was a correct call, um, you just kind of see how they treat the players in Washington, and maybe it wasn't all Bryce's fault, right? So, um, especially since Trey and Bryce are on the Phillies now, and those guys are playing lights out um, in the playoffs. So, it would be interesting to see if they can beat the Braves. Uh, They need to get one more game. Braves have the firepower to, to... to win to, so it's going to be a really interesting uh into that series but um yeah Astros are going to meet the Rangers uh the pitching for the Rangers has been way better than than anticipated um so again a lot of late additions with the Jordan Montgomery uh, we'll see if Scherzer can get back I know they had him on the roster um we'll see if he can get back because that would be hilarious that Scherzer and um Verlander Verlander got where I started with the Mets and now they're in the ALCS against each other it's just real funny um and to see them go head to head would be would be really hilarious as well so um yeah that's that's just another funny story with inside the season of the dysfunction of how the three top payroll teams didn't even make the playoffs so um it's just again just wild but um yeah man this 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 MLB playoffs has been awesome to watch. Uh obviously if you're uh Dodgers or Orioles fan, not so much because you watch your teams have great seasons just to get swept. Uh you never like to see that. Um the one thing I will say about the Orioles, at least that, that they have going for them over the Dodgers is this seems this seems like to be the beginning, right, Julius? This seems like they were ahead of schedule this year. Um we thought they'd be better than last year with all the young talent they had called up. And it seemed like they were just ahead of schedule. They, they had the most wins in the AL. They got the first seed. They won the AL East. Um, and and their farm system's still good. They still got Holiday coming up that they haven't called up. So um, if the GM and owner don't fuck this up, it seems like the Orioles should be good for a long time. And that's just being hopeful, you know, to... And I know, you know, you would want a better ending, but if you have any silver lining to getting swept and all that, it's, it's the hope that as long as the GM and owner don't mess something up, hopefully the Orioles are around for um, multiple, multiple seasons.
0: Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost, like I got to start off with my Diamondbacks. Um, I really did say, I just want to see this team make the postseason after having such a good start to the season. Uh, Things were falling apart at one point. It looked uh, later in the season after the All-Star break with the downbacks playing so terribly for several weeks that they were going to fall out of it. They rebounded, got back in it, and now they're hot at the right time. I just wanted to get past the Brewers, to be honest. I I wasn't sure that we could beat the Dodgers, but it feels good to not just beat them but sweep them. Uh, The thing that I hung my hope on in this series was that the Dodgers pitching would become an issue. And it did. And so like for me, when I look at these series and look at these, these teams that had buys and uh, why they lost, I, I don't blame it on having the bot. And this series, the bigger issue is the Dodgers didn't have Walker Bueller. Someone who's had success against Arizona. Historically, the Dodgers didn't have Julio Urias, And that was self-inflicted, but they didn't have him. The Dodgers didn't have Dustin May. I mean, there's just a lot of pitchers missing from this Dodgers rotation. So now you're throwing in guys you don't want to throw in. No, they don't start the season thinking Bobby Miller would be a game two playoff starter. So I think that was a bigger issue. And we know Kershaw has a history of falling flat in the postseason for the most part. So it's just not a surprise to see that happen. And so coming into game three, you got Lance Lynn. And if you watch him pitch this year, he's been terrible for most of the year. But the Dodgers still traded for him. Because they were desperate, because they didn't have arms. But Lance Lynn gave up more home runs than anybody this year. So it's not shocking to see him become the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to give up four home runs in one inning of a playoff game. So that's what I look at and say that's what lost it for the for the Dodgers. Game three, the closeout game, the Dodgers bullpen didn't give up anything. But their starting rotation was so bad, and that's whether you had a buy or not. That wasn't going to fix the rotation. So I just think that you had a hot lineup going against a very weak pitching staff, or at least starting rotation, and that's what made the difference. But I'm just happy to see the Diamondbacks back in the National League Championship Series. It's been a long time, and I had no clue what was going to happen this year. So it's just fun for me to see. Uh, Getting to these other series real quick, Patrick did a great job of recapping them. Uh, the other NL series is the one series still going. We got Philadelphia with a 2-1 lead over Atlanta. And again, who eliminated the Braves from the postseason last year? It's the Phillies. So to me, this is not so much about Atlanta having a bye. This is about Philadelphia knowing we, not, we know we can beat these guys because we just did it. And so uh, Atlanta, the, the disappointment for Atlanta is their offense. Uh, This is a team that had a record-setting offense this year. This is the team that, as far as I'm concerned, have the top two NL MVP candidates. When you talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olsen, they're not showing up the way they did in the regular season offensively. The rest of the lineup is not coming through. They've got almost nothing outside of a stretch in Game 2, like the latter part of Game 2. Other than that, the Braves offense has done nothing in this series, not even against Ranger Suarez, who's kind of a middle-of-the-road starter at best so it's concerning to see the braves bats go so cold it's nice to see bryce harper bryce harper blew game two let's just call it what it is he blew game two uh with his base running uh, michael harris the second give him his credit he made a great play to catch that uh nicholas castellanos, castellanos fly ball but uh there's no way harper should have been doubled off on that play especially after harris missed the cutoff man so harper cost philadelphia a chance to win game two but he made up for it big time in Game 3. Uh, the Braves kind of poked the bear a little bit, and Bryce Harper made him pay in Game 3. So uh, Philadelphia, again, a very confident Phillies team, is going to look to close Atlanta out. And it would be a disappointment for Atlanta just because of how great their offense was this year to fall flat in the NLDS. Uh, on the American League side, again, Baltimore had the buy. This is a very inexperienced Baltimore team. This is a Baltimore team that had a questionable rotation at best. When you look at this rotation – uh, Kyle Bradish was the only consistent pitcher for the Orioles this year. So it's not a surprise when you go into the playoffs and Grayson Rodriguez, who's been an up and down pitcher, who's pitching in the major leagues for the first time has a bad game. It's not surprising when Dean Kramer, who's been up and down for his entire major league career has a bad game. Uh, you know, these, these are not surprises. So again, I just don't think a bye week would help the Orioles. Their pitching was going to be an issue anyway. And losing Felix Bautista, one of the best closers in baseball, Out of that bullpen, it had a domino effect on the entire bullpen. Everybody in that bullpen needed to step up and take on a bigger role, and nobody really came through for the Orioles bullpen in the way they needed to. So that was the issue. And then when you talk about Texas, going back to like late May, early June, Texas had the best offense in baseball, even with Atlanta doing what they did this year. It was Texas that had pretty much all the leaders in in the American League and RBI at one point. So. Now this lineup is back healthy. I mean, you saw Corey Seager got the royal treatment in this series. I mean, the Orioles acted like he was untouchable, and they paid for it a couple times in this series. Josh Young is back and healthy, and he's got this lineup going. I uh, got Garcia is having a good series. I mean, I mean, uh, these are guys who have done it during the regular season. So Texas, we knew this lineup was dangerous. Marcus Simeon, can't—I forget to mention him. Like this lineup is great when everybody's healthy, and so. Again, it's just not a surprise if you watch Texas and you remember what this lineup looked like when they were healthy. Patrick mentioned the pitching. Uh, that's going to be what what's going to make the difference. We know they can hit. Can they match pitch for pitch with another rotation? In this series, it was easy. It's going to be harder against Houston, but we'll see if they're up for the challenge, especially if Scherzer gets back. Now, the thing is, if Scherzer gets back, he has a propensity to give up home runs. Uh, in big numbers, he doesn't give up necessarily a lot of runs all the time, but he will give up a lot of home runs. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Houston, Minnesota, to me, this came down to experience. And Houston, again, with a one team that got a buy that did win their series so far. Uh, just the moments were never too big. Every time they needed a big hit from Jordan Alvarez, Minnesota kept trying to match left-handers on Alvarez. It doesn't matter. He's experienced. He's been there. He's performed at a high level on the biggest stage. He's not phased. Jose Altuve, multiple-time champion, not phased. Alex Bregman, he's been there through all this. He's not phased. You got just all this experience, all this championship experience on the Astros. And then Jose Abreu comes in, and he just fits in seamlessly. He looks like he's been there before. You almost forget. He he wasn't along on the ride with the Astros before. But all that experience made the difference for uh, the Astros against a young Twins team who was tasting postseason success for the first time. So... I think it's a good sign for the Twins. Royce Lewis announced his presence loudly in the postseason, both in the first round and in this series. So uh, he's a guy that looks like a star in the making. But uh, again, Minnesota, I kind of put them kind of similar to Baltimore, where you got a lot of young pieces that you can be excited about. The Twins probably a little bit ahead of schedule. Uh, The division they played in helped them get to the playoffs, but they capitalized when they got there until they ran into the Astros. So a lot to be encouraged by there into a little college football uh, this past weekend we had the red river shootout yeah i'm still calling it a shootout sue me oklahoma able to get the win over texas you know i talked earlier this season that texas tends to kind of build you up and then let you down it's easy to kind of say they did that this game but i actually thought that texas played pretty well in this game and this is more about oklahoma making the timely plays that they had to make Uh, The goal line tackle on Xavier Worthy in particular is a moment that stands out in my mind to keep points off the board on a fourth down situation. Again, to me, that's not a bad Texas play. That's a good Oklahoma play. Uh, And then even late with Texas uh, moved ahead to take the lead, Oklahoma led by Dylan Gabriel, able to go back down and engineer a game winning drive. To me, that's, that's good Oklahoma football more than bad Texas football. So Texas not necessarily living down to their reputation. I just want to give the Sooners credit for coming through and pulling that game off. Uh, Yeah, Notre Dame and Louisville. That was a game we were looking forward to. Notre Dame could not keep the ball for anything. Uh, Obviously, this is the worst game that Sam Hartman has had since he transferred to Notre Dame. And uh, Louisville able to capitalize off five Notre Dame turnovers and pick up a statement win. So all of a sudden, Louisville looking like one of the better teams in the ACC. Uh, Miami, (laughs) you got to talk about them for a quick minute. Blow the whistle on the head coach. I mean, this is this is blow the whistle and bring in the investigators. That That's how bad this is. This is the kind of game, you know, for, for you conspiracy theorists out there, this is the kind of game that kind of validates you guys because why is all I can say. When all you have to do is snap the ball and go to the ground and you win and you fail to do that. And then you give up a touchdown. You still had a chance to win the game even after being stupid and still blew it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. This, this game looked like Cristobal did this on purpose. It looked like he lost this game on purpose. Calls and me my And I can't defend it beyond saying that. Uh, getting off of that for a second, uh, USC, they survived a scare from Arizona. They should have won the game in regulation just to – Complete miscue on kicking a short, short field goal that would have won the game. Uh, They they wanted to go to overtime with Arizona. They did go to multiple overtimes with Arizona, but USC escapes with a two-point win. Uh, A very slow start uncharacteristically for Caleb Williams, but still able to make just enough plays to get by Arizona and keep USC's hopes for the season alive. Uh, Georgia had a matchup with Kentucky. This was supposed to be a bit more of a challenge than we've seen Georgia have. This year, Georgia easily dismantled Kentucky in that game. I hated to see it for our former quarterback, Devin Leary. Uh, But, hey, there there are levels, and as you saw it there, Kentucky might have been a ranked team going into that game, but there's being ranked and then there's being Georgia, and we saw the difference there. Um, I'll let Patrick talk about Maryland and Ohio State, but Ohio State did get that win, pulled away late. And lastly, NC State. 48-41 win over Marshall. This is a complete shootout. Hope you had the over for this game. Brendan Armstrong was finally benched. Thank goodness. MJ Morris was a starter in this game, and he made some mistakes. He threw three interceptions, but you just saw a more dynamic offense. You saw an offense that was more confident, more explosive, and, again, it's against Marshall, so you don't want to take too much into it. But MJ Morris definitely gives us more hope in the quarterback position than Brendan Armstrong, who just could not throw a pass Uh, with any semblance of competence to save his life. So NC State made the necessary move. Is it going to be enough to go on the road and beat Duke next week? Highly unlikely, but at least NC State is more fun to watch now. So thank you for that, M.J. Morris. Yeah, um, obviously we'll start with the number
1: one team, Georgia, and they had Kentucky coming in and everyone was talking about Georgia. is not the same Georgia as last year. They're not that good. When they have to face Kentucky, we'll see. And they beat them 51 to 13. Uh, Brock Bowers, um, I'm glad that Beck is starting to learn that Brock Bowers just throw him the ball. Um, he passed A.J. Green uh, with his 24th career receiving touchdown, which is crazy because A.J. Green's a wide receiver and Bowers is a tight end. Um, but Georgia just rolled over Kentucky. So for everyone who was saying, why are they still number one and blah, 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 listen. Georgia has, just like Alabama used to have for all those years, Georgia's number one until they lose. Uh, I don't care if they look worse than Michigan this entire season. They are number one until they lose. (coughs) And they've earned that. Um, Michigan routed Minnesota, which not a surprise, 52-10. Julius, you talked about it. And Oklahoma with the big win over Texas. Huge for Oklahoma because last year with Brett Venables as their head coach, as the first year head coach, they looked terrible, and and it was not the Oklahoma team that most people are used to seeing. And so for them to get this big win over Texas and to be six and zero to start the season and three and zero in the Big Twelve is huge. Maryland um, had a chance, man. They they missed some opportunities in the first half, and then Talia threw a terrible pick six to get Ohio State you know, to keep them close, but it was 10-10 at half, Um, it was 17-17 at one point, and, you know, the last half of, the, the last minutes of the third and then the fourth quarter just really frustrates you as a Maryland fan, because you felt like they had no heart, and then you just question the coaching, they go for it on fourth down, which doesn't make sense, and then when they need to go for it on fourth down, they start punting. So it's just, like, it just, you know, just very confusing. It felt like Maryland just kind of threw in the towel. and was like, all right, y'all beat us. Um, the defense, like, was holding Marvin Harrison Jr. back for a while, and then it was just, all right, catch whatever you want. So that was just kind of frustrating to watch as a Maryland fan. But um, Ohio State is the better team and should have won this game, but Maryland kept it competitive for three quarters. Um, Florida State... Handled Virginia Tech. Julia's <coughs> talk about USC-Arizona. Um, this is what scares me about USC. It scares me about them every year. Their defense isn't that good. Arizona shouldn't be scoring 41 points on you. And I know it went to three overtimes, but you shouldn't be struggling to beat Arizona. Arizona's not that good of a team. Um, so that's what always worries me about USC. Utah beat them twice last year for the exact same thing. Um, Utah... Is like the only team that really plays defense in the Pac-12, so um, it'll be interesting to see that matchup again. I know they don't have the same players, but um, you know we'll see what happens uh, as we get more into the Pac-12 uh, season. Especially USC starts to play Oregon uh, and some other Pac-12 is gonna be tough this year, man. They got some teams. They got some teams this year. Um, you talk about Louisville being Notre Dame. To me, it's same old Notre Dame. Blew the game against Ohio State and then blow the game against Louisville. So. To me, this is just typical Notre Dame behavior, uh, not surprising in the least. Alabama, um, now that Milroe's back in at quarterback and he throws for three twenty-one and three touchdowns, they beat Texas A&M in a tough battle. Um, should never have been benched, but uh, now we're back. We're back. So this is what we're doing. Uh, glad for them to get a W. Um, all the sports books called this one, and I was kind of shocked that they were the favorites. But UCLA beat Washington State. Um, Washington State just really couldn't get their offense going in this game. Uh, North Carolina ran over Syracuse after a four zero start for Syracuse. They've lost their last two, and Drake May threw almost for five hundred yards, which is just insane. Um, in a game that had no defense, which is normal for Pac twelve. Uh, Oregon State beat Cal fifty two to forty. Again, just that was just wild. But then let's talk. I cannot just skip over this Miami Georgia Tech game. Not only did it cost me multiple parlays, but All you have to do, for anyone who, like you said, for anyone who has conspiracy theories or anyone who thinks that sports betting or sports is rigged or someone's getting told what to do, I mean, yes, are you telling that kid to fumble the run? No. And would he do it if he was told to? Probably not. I mean, depending on the money, who knows. But all you have to do is kneel the ball. That's all you have to do is kneel the football and you win the game. And then not only after you do fumble, just don't give up a Hail Mary, essentially. And then they do that. Like, it makes no sense well, I hope it's how how Miami lost this game. And they'd be undefeated. They'd be 5-0. It just doesn't... I'm just so confused. Like, not even a bad beat. This is... I don't even know what to call this, Julian. It was just... In no way should have Miami ever lost this game. So, um, yeah, that... It is what it is. But I just... It, it's very frustrating to watch. Again, not only because I did have parlays with Miami on there a bunch, but just from a football standpoint and a fan, you're just like, what are you doing? It just doesn't make sense. Um, <coughs> for the top 25 next week, Julius, there's really no great games. Besides, uh, there are. there is one uh, that I'm looking forward to. And that is Oregon and Washington. So that's going to be the 7-8 team playing each other. Uh, Both are 5-0. i got to see Pennix do it against a better team. I know people are super excited about him, but I watched him at Indiana for multiple years. uh, And this is not look. I don't know if this, again, we talked about this, if this is the product of Pac-12 defenses and not being in the Big Ten or if his game has actually uh, advanced because of other playmakers around him. Uh, that weren't at Indiana, so I do want to see him against Oregon. I think that's going to be a very, very good game. I'm very excited to watch that one. Not excited about USC. Heisman implications on both sides. Yes, absolutely. Uh, not excited for USC Notre Dame. That game never excites me. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, yeah, I could see Notre Dame getting blown out, and I could see USC losing I just don't. I'm not. I'm not worried about that game at all. I know UCLA and Oregon State play each other. I'm just not, you know, I'm not huge on either of those teams either. Um, Miami, North Carolina could have been an exciting game if what just happened in just happened to them against Georgia Tech. Now I don't want to see any Miami game ever again. So again, the game for me next week is Oregon, Washington. Um, why Penn State is playing Massachusetts six games into the season is beyond me. I don't think that should be I don't think that should be allowed. Uh, maybe when the Super Conferences with 87 teams happens, that won't be allowed. But um, that is, like Georgia playing Vanderbilt, they're in the SEC. That's fine, even though Vanderbilt doesn't win SEC games. Michigan playing Indiana, that's fine. They're in the Big Ten. You you expect that. Penn State against Massachusetts should never happen in week six, yeah. seven, yeah. of the college football season. just makes no sense. Um, but yeah, Oregon-Washington, definitely super excited for uh, that game, Julius. Uh, moving over to NHL because that started, um, you know. Just uh, it was cool to see Vegas raise the banner. Uh, they did it in Vegas style. Um, but uh, you know, the coolest thing for me is to see some of these uh, young guys get out there. You know, when we, I remember when Connor McDavid got drafted, when Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin, all of them. It's kind of cool to see them get out and skate around and, and make plays and. And Bedard has done that, another Connor, shocking, uh, in hockey. Um, got an assist in his first game, and then he scored his first goal uh, tonight, even though it wasn't a loss. But uh, they beat the Penguins uh, to open the season, which is which is pretty cool, since Chicago is a, has been a bad team. That's how they got Connor mm-hmm. Bedard. Um, but uh, our guys, uh, Julius, unfortunately, are getting completely destroyed tonight by the Canucks. Uh, the Oilers are losing currently seven to one, um, yeah. and yeah. some guy named Boser has four goals. So I don't even know yeah. what's happening. Uh, but Drysital got a goal and McDavid uh, assisted yeah. it, so we're, we're used to that. But um, uh, just a just a crazy uh, night right there. The Canucks are just putting it to the Oilers right now. But hockey's back. Uh, NBA preseason's happening. Uh, their season's going to start soon. And as we talked about last podcast. Really excited for October because you get all the sports happening at the same time. So, uh, you know, you and I, we're not the biggest um, NHL followers. We're not going to talk about them a ton uh, just because we don't want to sound, you know, out of our element. But uh, we definitely always want to highlight the NHL and that the season started last night. And, um, you know, that if you guys don't watch NHL, you should. Uh, because the action is exciting and it's always fun to watch, especially once it gets to playoff time, man. The intensity is just ramped up in hockey. Oh, yeah. And before we wrap up this podcast, just uh, in the WNBA, the Aces are completely routing the Liberty in the WNBA Finals. All they need is one more win to get their second title. Um, and for the two super teams uh, that people were talking about this year, uh, it seems the Liberty are kind of out of their element, even though they have players because – the aces are just giving it to him, Julius, uh, in, the, in the finals.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it's gotten this lopsided. Uh, we'll see what happens when the series shifts to New York. But uh, like I said, all year long it was built up to be this from day one. You got the matchup you wanted. And to see two non-competitive games to start the finals, uh, that's surprising to me. So hopefully the Liberty bounce back and, and make it a series. But the aces, they're they're showing you why they were the defending champs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been just nonstop
1: uh, assault on the Liberty, the first two games. So like you said, go to New York, maybe that, maybe the change of scenery is good for New York, but, uh, hopefully it is because if not, that's not a good look for what the WNBA was trying to get to happen. Um, to try to compete with, you know, college women's basketball. So, um, hopefully New York can pull out the next game. If not, uh, that's the second title in a row, uh, for the aces. Um, that does it for us on this week's uh, edition of the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. We appreciate all of our new listeners. Uh, we appreciate you guys reaching out to us, telling us uh, what you like, what you don't like, and what you would like for us to talk about. Um, again, follow us at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, uh, X, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, so just follow us on all those handles, and we'll reach out and we'll do what we can uh, to, to interact with you guys and, and talk about what you guys are looking for. Uh, until next week, I'm Patrick, that's Julius, and we'll, we'll holler at y'all. Thank you for listening
0: to the Two Guys Four Balls Podcast.